You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. Welcome, welcome. Get comfortable. This is the podcast where we examine pop culture franchises of the VHS era and improv new story ideas right here on the episode to imagine how we might improve our favorite movies, TV shows, and video games if we were in charge. I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And this is Raised by Rentals. Mike, it's our second episode. Welcome. (laughs) I can't believe we're already on number two. It seems like we were just doing part one. Right, it does. It does. It feels like we just recorded that. And uh, this is, I hope, will be a cleaner, better, fun episode, at least a little bit more uh, directed after listening to that first episode. First of all, what a great time. I had an awesome time recording it and talking with you and uh, coming up with what I thought was a pretty damn good idea for a Friday the 13th story. Totally agree. And I'm still kind of bummed that I can't go watch it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree, too. It's like. I, I'm sorely, sorely tempted to just like write the script anyway, I know, right? like just, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> but in listening to that episode, I learned a lot of things. First of all, I learned that I was nervous and, you know, we said, um, and ah, and you know, <laughs> a thousand times. And I'm still uh-huh. saying no as a punctuation on every one of my sentences. But that's beside the point. What I really discovered listening to that conversation was what I feel is the proper hook for the show. And you'll notice that I, I made some changes to the little introductory uh, blurb there when I had mentioned improving new story ideas. Because when you and I were first talking about the show, right, obviously you were there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, we talked about how let's just get together and gab about our favorite franchises and we'll put a limitation on like a time frame. We'll we'll make it nostalgic and retro appreciation of the VHS era of movies and TV shows, video games, as we've mentioned. And that way we'll just have this venue uh, to this medium to go and talk about things and what we wish that they would have done or what we wish we could have seen at in the ending or the sequel or the prequel or whatever. And uh, have these sort of like fantasy football style conversations about what could have been. And that's how the episode started about Friday the 13th with Jason in the snow, Christmas the 13th. Yeah, and, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't think that at least I didn't, I didn't intend to go through an entire story beat by beat from the beginning to the end. I don't yeah. know that that was really the intention. I certainly wanted the story to exist and I am stoked that we came up with what I think is some pretty good stuff. Yeah, you know, I will pat ourselves on the back a little oh, absolutely. bit. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think it's a great ride. Like listening to that episode again, I, I really do enjoy that, that story that we came up with. And I really wish that, like I said, I wish it existed. Um, but yeah, I mean, you said it. We didn't intend to do that. We intended to just kind of give a synopsis, talk about it. What would we do differently? And it just happened organically. You know, we just came up with that story organically, which is also something that we used to do back in the day when we were writing our own stories. <laughs> we yeah. would be like, 
hey, you know what we should do? And we would start coming up with an idea for a comic book and it would spawn into an entire like, you know, three part series or whatever. (laughs) And so we have a tendency to set out to do something small and go much larger. (laughs) Yes, I agree. And also set out to do something that is very bird's eye view, very macro in scope. And then we get really microscopic in scope very quickly. Yep. <laughs> you know, and yep. a story outline turns into a beat by beat um, breakdown, you know, where it's like we're summarizing every scene, like it's the cliffs notes. And I don't really <laughs> think that was the intention, but I had a blast and yeah. not only was it fun, I really think that that was the strength of the episode and, you know, pulling the curtain back a little bit. Obviously, I was nervous. It was our first episode. Yeah. We were kind of learning as we were going. And and that's how I learn anyway. I have to do things. I, I can read a manual or have someone explain something to me. But until I get my hands dirty with it, I'm never really going to understand how it works. Same. And so I needed to learn by doing with a real actual episode with the recording going and we learned. And what I was able to zero in on was this story is really what makes this podcast unique because there's a thousand podcasts out there about people belly aching and and whining (laughs) about wanting a better ending or a better edit or, you know, a better script for this, this idea or that property. And that's kind of what we were doing, too. And while I think that there's still room in that playground, I'm happy to to say that we really found a hook that I think is interesting uh, for us, which is, hey, we're just going to try to improv stories about these properties, not just daydreaming about what we wish we could have done. But, well, let's actually, you know, kind of explain what we were what we really would have done in as much detail as we can do live in the episode live to hard drive, as you mentioned last episode, that we did very little prep work ahead of time, very little research. This is really just a matter of let's pick a cool property and just come up with something that we would have done if we were given the keys to the kingdom. So, right. Mike, what are we going to what are we going to get on our high horse about this time? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this is uh, <laughs> something that is at least some of it is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I imagine most of our listeners who grew up around the same time we did will agree. But we're going to talk about the Police Academy franchise. Now, there are seven movies in this franchise. It is a long-running <laughs> franchise. Um, they really hit the hit the ground running, though. It was, what, 84 through 89, if I'm not mistaken, um, for one through six, right? Yeah, 1984 was the first movie. You're right, 1989, and then there was a little bit of a gap. Uh, to 94. To yep, that's right. Yeah. Mission to Moscow. Yeah, and then, of course, they did the television show and the cartoon. Um, but yeah, this is something, as a, as a kid, uh, I probably shouldn't have been watching Police Academy, um, especially when I was <laughs> watching Police Academy. Same thing with Revenge of the Nerds, as I'm sure we'll eventually talk about with uh, with that property. Um, but this was a, it was very much an 80s thing. It was, you know, this type of comedy where it was very inappropriate on many levels, but also very lighthearted. And that's I think that I think that's what makes it work is that it's lighthearted and fun while still being very crass and rude, you know, um, 
And there was a ton of those types of comedies throughout the 80s. So we're going to talk about if we had the, the keys to the kingdom, as you said, with Police Academy, and we were charged with bringing it back, how would we do that? What would we do? Uh, and I think we have some ideas on how we could do that. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think you're right. And you mentioned something, which is that this franchise, while it did stretch into the 90s, was very much a product of its time. And that time was the 1980s, uh, yes. especially the, the middle and the second half of that decade. And you're right. This is very much a movie that's in the vein of like an Animal House uh, or a Caddyshack. You mentioned Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, and if it even with the Friday the 13th franchise that we mentioned last time in our last episode, the conversations we had too about seeing movies that we were entirely too young for, like Robocop and Platoon, yep. <laughs> you know, and, and, and things that were just incredibly uh, scary and violent uh, and how the par- the parenting standards were just very different at that time. And, you know, after that episode, I was thinking, like, why was that? You know, was it really a question of different standards? And we don't necessarily need to unpack that right now. But I I think it has more to do with the fact that coming out of the so-called, you know, golden age of TV and through the 70s when cinema really started becoming more of a mass market uh, option, you know, for seeing movies. And then home video was eventually introduced in the late seventies and, and really became ubiquitous. The VHS era starting around 1980 or so mm-hmm. is I think that you had parents who were so used to network television being so wholesome and clean and safe that yeah. even primetime shows were not that bad. You know, maybe a little bit of talk about sex and crime, you know, Dragnet might've been the worst it got, you know, at a right. certain point. And when a show like the many lives of Dobie Gillis was like racy, you know, it's like <laughs> when you get into the eighties and suddenly there's this home video market and everything is much more accessible. You, you find kids that are watching these movies and maybe the parents just weren't paying attention because they they didn't know that they needed to, or they just, they just weren't used to that. They weren't well, used to having to protect the kids from the movies and TV they were watching. Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, I, I think the, di- the direct result of why, uh, or I'm not the direct result, I'm sorry, the direct reason, uh, why that is, is because we have this problem and we still have this problem in America, but we have this problem where, we label something as, oh, this is for kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I know they're dealing with that on YouTube right now, where any any reviewer who reviews, like, toys or comics or video games, it it's labeled as, oh, this is a child's property, so we can't monetize these channels. Even mm-hmm. though there are toys for adults, there are, and, and I'm not talking about those type of toys, but <laughs> high-end collectible toys like, like NECA. You know, you're not going to go out and buy, you know, a new blood Jason for little Timmy. You know, it's yeah, that's clearly exactly. meant for an adult collector. Um, same thing with video games. There are video games like The Last of Us that I wouldn't even let my son watch me play because I'm like, my God, like it is. It's not mm-hmm. only violent, but it's emotionally like disturbing. Um, yeah. And same thing like you. Oh, I know you have read plenty of comic books that are clearly not for children. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, you and I have read a buttload of indie books and like, you know, Fantagraphics and Top Shelf and all that that, you know, put out stuff that is meant for an adult readership. But when our parents were younger, stuff like sci fi, you know, horror, those things, they were considered like, oh, that's, you know, that's meant for kids. That's, you know, it's a mm-hmm. it's a fun, like spooky little romp. You know, it, it's meant for children. So 
parents would just, you know, like I know my mom talked about like she would get dropped off at the theater with like, you know, a handful of change and would just mm-hmm. literally stay there all day with her brother and they would watch like the cartoon reels and then they would watch like the Wolfman, you know, <laughs> like they would watch these movies that were, you know, I mean, by today's standards, they're so freaking tame. But, you know, back then mm-hmm. they were spooky. Um, so that those people, like when our parents became parents, you know, they would see like horror and sci-fi and like comedies and be like, oh, that's kid stuff. And mm-hmm. not think like not even think a second thought about it. Like we lived through the creation of like the ESRB for video games. Like yeah. that didn't exist when we were little. Um, that came about in the early nineties with games like night trap and mortal Kombat, where people started going, Whoa, wait a second. <laughs> this stuff is violent. Mm-hmm. Wait, we're showing this to children. Um, you know, and then people started discovering like anime and how violent some anime is. And they're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. This is in with kids movies at blockbuster. You know, yeah. it's like, why is Akira over here next to like, you know, <laughs> like a Mickey Mouse tape? This isn't OK. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that just the changeover from all of this stuff is for kids to this is just, you know, it's it's a it's a medium. It doesn't mean that it's only for kids like, you know, cartoons are a medium, you know, horror movies. It's it's a genre, but, you know, it's it's still film is a medium, but a genre that's not meant for kids. Um, just in particular, it's meant for everybody and there's varying levels throughout it. So mm-hmm. I think that's when all, we started seeing all the rating systems on like everything, you know, I, obviously it already existed for comic books. I, I, we can go into that in another episode, Yeah, but um, the comic you know, code authority. Right. But it's like, you know, you saw something like Vertigo come about in, and mm-hmm. wasn't that in the late 80s that Vertigo came around? I don't remember the exact year because it, the actual imprint, I think, started around 1990. But the types of books that were classified as Vertigo books were definitely the late 80s. Things like right. uh, Swamp Thing and even Sandman, which was probably the most famous Vertigo title. It, it didn't right. originally start as a Vertigo title because Vertigo didn't exist when Sandman launched. Right. It was originally – wasn't it like the first story arc was was DC? Yeah, or, yeah. And, yeah, I think – Yeah, and if you look at look – at, uh, and we don't. This is a, we, we're on a tangent already, Mike. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, but San, yeah, Sandman uh, by Neil Gaiman and Swamp Thing by Alan Moore and some of those other uh, Vertigo esque books that existed before the Vertigo imprint officially did. They were all set within the DC universe, and there was small nods to you know the the standard DC continuity. The fact that Superman appears in Sandman, sort of right. from a from behind in shadow, just sort of hinting at like, yeah, that's Superman. And we're kind of throwing him in there to right. let people well, know like, that this is a DC book, but it's not really a DC book. I mean, Etrigan is right in there, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> so, true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, neither here nor there. My point is that, that like all of this stuff that people just perceived to be for kids um, was slowly kind of growing up and, and people were starting to, to take note and be like, Oh wait, that isn't just for kids. And I think that this also explains why when we grew up there were so many like violent movies or or adult franchises mm-hmm. that got cartoons and toy lines <laughs> aimed at children you know yes. robocop like, rambo right yeah exactly robocop rambo freaking police academy here's another one mm-hmm. um you know all of these different properties got you know like kenner action figures and freaking mm-hmm. you know saturday morning cartoons rambo and the freedom fighters you know all that stuff. And it's like Rambo is about a, a man with PTSD. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. That is not a children's property. And he, he like goes on safari and like kills a bunch of cops, you know, in that right. <laughs> and then in the sequel, of course, everyone really loved, you know, uh, first blood part two, right. uh, with, with the strangest title. Um, and, but that, you know, where he had the red bandana and like the jade necklace and it's like, wait, no, they dropped, they dropped him into, into Southeast Asia as like a one man killing machine with a machine gun. Like right. he was a human bomb. Well, you realize that, right? They sent him there to murder everyone he could find. Right. <laughs> But but America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. funny you mentioned it too, especially coming out of like the satanic panic uh, scares in the seventies, and then again in the eighties when there was yeah. so much concern over like satanic and like demonic supposed demonic Dungeons imagery, and right? And yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, and even horror movies. It's funny how there were some things that were just fine, and I think a lot of it, some of it at least, has to do with there was certain different standards and maybe there's this whole latchkey generation um, that really started even before, you know, our generation, our time. Um, and like with my dad, you know, I know that his take on things was always like, well, they're going to have to learn sometime and they can learn when they're young and they can grow up and they can learn how to deal with reality, the reality of, you know, sex and violence and bullying and crime and, and I don't think that he was like purposely exposing it to us, but sort of like letting it happen naturally instead right. of trying to shelter us from the reality of the, you know, of, of the real world. Uh, and I think that's part of it. Cause I had mentioned, you know, that my parents used to watch movies, R rated movies that we would rent. They would watch them the night before and then let my brother and I know if it was okay. And something like Robocop was the example that I used in the last episode when it was not okay to watch the brief topless scene, but it was okay to watch the rest of the movie, which is incredibly violent. Right. And so there must've, they had some awareness of, of what it was, you know, it wasn't like they were like, Oh, you know, this is for kids. Right. Um, and that's like you mentioned, but you know, Side, you know, another side tangent before we really get back on our topic here. But, you know, yeah, I have an entire library of comics and my kids know that they are not allowed to just go in and take anything that they want off of the shelf. They can come and ask me. And I I would love, absolutely love to have the opportunity to say, oh, let me tell you about some comics because I could go on forever for hours and <laughs> they will just grab a couple of things and run away but, and to, to make me stop, <laughs> you know. But I love showing them things, but they know that they can't just go and grab, you know, whatever they want. And that's which is so ironic, because when I talk about comics to people in other parts of my life, like in my professional day job life, there's still very much this perception of like comics, like aren't those for kids? Yep. And it's like comics haven't been for kids for decades, like for decades, even when we, you and I were kids, you know, mm-hmm. the comics weren't really for kids. I mean, yes, there was the Comics Code Authority, as you mentioned, but mm-hmm. things like Vertigo and the adult comics that you know were R-rated or X-rated, those existed in the comic book shops before I ever started reading comics. So yeah. that stuff was available to me. And, you know, I remember seeing things like Preacher on the shelves yeah. and sort of being almost like you know, not scared of it, but almost intimidated by like how creepy it looked. Right. You know, it was up on that that top shelf (laughs) where like the little uh, kids weren't supposed to be able to reach it. Wasn't it Glenn Fabry? Was that his name? Or his his covers were gorgeous, but they were so creepy. (laughs) He made everything look creepy. (laughs) Yeah, he really did. But not like dirty. (laughs) I was going to say, like, it's a good thing you mentioned that the whole comic thing, because like, look at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like the original Mirage comics were violent as hell. And it's funny because obviously, you know, I like many kids are or people our age, you know, that grew up with the Ninja Turtle cartoon and the the toys and all that. I discovered them in the toy in the toy aisle. Like my my first exposure to Ninja Turtles was in Kmart 
seeing uh, an end cap of Ninja Turtles and being like, what the hell are these? These are yeah. amazing. I want them. Um, and so I ended up getting the toys first, then seeing the cartoon, then reading the Archie comics that were made for kids. <laughs> and when, once I was like, okay, I don't have any more comics to read. I have to wait a whole month. Ooh, what's this graphic novel over here? Mm-hmm. And it was like the Mirage comics of the turtles fighting the frickin' <laughs> Triceratons. And they're like swearing and like gutting aliens. I'm like, oh my God, like, mm-hmm. this is cool, you know? And then, <laughs> then I'm watching like, you know, everyone saying cowabunga and eating ice cream on pizza. And I'm like, this doesn't hit as hard. <laughs> you no, know? It, it's funny because I, 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 you know, I swear this is all about Police Academy. Eventually we're going to circle it back. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and I had similar experiences, not with the turtles, but with other types of comics and, uh, you know, on uh, on Count Creepyhead, Saturday Morning Monster Mash, <laughs> yeah, one of the other podcasts, obviously, that you co-host that, you know, there's, you guys have mentioned several times how there's these sort of like, you know, the 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 porn in the in the in the woods. Right. Mike, the other the other Mike the other <laughs> has mentioned that as an analogy a few times. And for me, like finding comics like that was like finding porn in the woods. It was like, oh, yeah. here's this like thing I'm not supposed to see. You know, this this sort of, uh, you know, taboo thing that I shouldn't be reading or shouldn't be looking at. And um, I remember that the, when the comic book shop owner um at at the house of fantasy in niagara falls when he first oh, yeah. you know showed me things like well here you know take a look at uh, miracle man or marvel man uh the alan moore um uh mick anglo uh comics and and of course now the artist is escaping me but oh my gosh like those things are so violent and mm-hmm. so like sexually uh explicit that <laughs> it's like yeah scary is it gary leach is that the artist oh my gosh i take away my my comic nerd card right now um but yeah you know seeing those comics very early on i was like what is this you know and i got a i got a crash course in comics are absolutely not for kids and when i was like 12 <laughs> you oh <know>? yeah <laughs> and I, I was still a marvel zombie but then quickly realized that there is a whole world of amazing stuff out there um that is definitely not for kids you know it's sort of uh on that on that porn shelf or that high shelf that you're not really supposed to look at or you know in that back room of the video store like they used to have <laughs> and paul was good for that he he introduced mm-hmm. a lot of people to a lot of stuff <laughs> he was the reason i read preacher um oh yeah yeah cause, for cause, sure you know, well, one last one last comic story, and then but I, I came into House Fantasy to buy my my books, and at the time I was reading like you know Ultimate Spider Man, and because that had just started, um, and Ultimate X Men, and uh, uh, New X Men, and Spawn, and all that. Like I was reading superhero books, and um, I only had like two books that week, and I was looking around, and I wandered over to the graphic novel shelf, and I just happened to like pull out Preacher and just glance at the cover. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, my God, you got to read Preacher. Have you ever read Preacher? And I was like, <laughs> like, no, nah, I never read. He's like, oh, my God, oh, he's like, bring it over here. Bring it. Over. So I brought it over to the counter and he starts thumbing through it and like kind of telling me a little bit about the characters. And he's like, oh, man, this book has everything. It's got a hired assassin. It's got an Irish vampire. It's got a guy that tells you or can tell you what to do and you have to do it. It's got chicken fucking. It's got you know, like <laughs> I, he slipped chicken fucking in there. Right. Like yep. it was a selling point, <laughs> and, you know, just based on his sheer excitement, I'm like, all right, sure. Why not? I'll buy it. So I read it and I immediately went back the next day to buy the second book because it was such a good read. And Preacher remains my all time favorite series. Um, 
you know, in all of comicdom. But uh, but yeah, it was that it was Paul, Paul, who exposed yep. me to it because he was just like he was so energetic and excited to share these like, for lack of a better term, adult books with new readers like, you know, hey, it isn't all about superheroes. Superheroes are great, but it's not all about that. You know, and and Paul really liked to push that. But we aren't here to talk about comics. I keep sidetracking us. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Maybe we'll maybe we'll try to remember to circle back at the end, too, because I've got I've got I could make a thousand comments about what you just said about Preacher and about about Paul, the owner of that (laughs) store. And and, uh, it it was Gary Leach on Miracle Man, by the way. I got to wipe my forehead there like uh, they're going to come after me Um, anyway. So. But no, this is all good though because yeah, we we go off on tangents. But hey, that's what this show is, you know, going to be at least partially about. So buckle in, listeners. We're, there's going to be lots of those. If you listen to the first episode, I lost track of how many times we went down some side trail, uh, mm-hmm. some switchback, and uh, <laughs> but we did eventually get back on track and we told what I thought was a pretty fun story. And so you know we can do that again here. But yeah, Police Academy is very much that type of a franchise where it. Um, was you know made for adults, but then over time the tone of it changed, and kids yeah. got into it. Kids our age got into got into it, and then it sort of got a little bit watered down. And and we'll get there. Um, but uh, it it definitely falls into that same category of things that kids probably shouldn't have been watching in the eighties. But hey, everyone I know my age, you know, used to watch these when when we were probably way too young for them. So, um, yeah. for anyone who's listening who has no idea what we're talking about and has never seen the police Academy, uh, <laughs> the original movie or any of the, the franchise sequels or, or any of the other uh, properties. Um, obviously it's a, it's a movie franchise. We've mentioned that a few times started in 1984. You mentioned that earlier and it's about a group of misfit recruits attending the titular police Academy in an unnamed city somewhere, mostly filmed in Toronto. Uh, anyway, at the, at the Academy, uh, no one expects them to succeed as police officers, but they learn to believe in themselves. They prove that they're capable after all, and they form a close knit team to take down bad guys. And uh, most of the characters on that close knit team were really well defined and very memorable right from the first, uh, from their first appearance. Uh, most of the main cast started in the first, ep- in the first movie and we got some new uh, recruits and new, in- new characters introduced in almost every movie after that. Um, but the characters are really so memorable um, to the point now where you still hear people or see pop culture references to that guy from the police academy movies, you know, who typically that would refer to uh, uh, the character of Jones uh, played by Michael Winslow because he makes those crazy sound effects with his mouth. I think people even who aren't familiar with the police academy movies have probably know who that guy is. You know, he's been in some other movies and other TV shows. Um, yeah. Spaceballs was another big one from the eighties that he was in, but he's been in a thousand things and even referenced on the office. Um, but there was lots of other great characters who were really, uh, they really stood out uh, as individual and really well, well-written and well-defined people like Hightower, Tackleberry hooks, of course, the main character of Mahoney, uh, which we'll talk more about here in a little bit. And as we mentioned before, obviously the comedy is very off col- off color. It's racy, uh, yeah. very similar to the movies we mentioned already, like Revenge of the Nerds, Animal Farm, or Animal Farm, <laughs> Animal House, <laughs> um, you know, National Lampoons, things like that. But also very slapstick at the same time. And uh, a lot of like uh, 
three stooges type uh, uh humor in terms of like you know hurting or or, or pratfalls and things like that uh as the series progressed um like i said a few minutes a minute or so ago it became kind of cartoonish kind of silly right and obviously they're trying to appeal to a wider audience because they really were big box office hits at least the, the earlier installments uh they were r-rated but as we mentioned a few times there was an animated series so you saw this trajectory of an r-rated racy slapstick raunchy comedy become a literal g-rated animated series on saturday morning network tv so like that's kind of a strange uh, uh, transition uh to make but there's a lot of really interesting material uh, along that slope so yeah seven movies a couple of tv shows um, Mike, has there been has there been anything since the the cartoon series? There was another another show in the nineties, was there not? Like yeah, there was live, a action? live action. There was a, li- a live action show. I want to say it was like ninety seven, somewhere around there. It was I know it was the late nineties. Um, I remember hearing about it when it was on, and just I didn't care at that point. I had kind of lost interest in the Police Academy movies um, after part five. Now. One through four, I watched religiously. Like, I especially, for whatever reason, one through three were the, the three that really got me. Um, but Citizens on Patrol, part four, is like kind of like where, I guess it just hit its peak for me, where I didn't feel like I needed much more. I remember watching part five and being kind of let down because, you know, when you put them in Miami, it just it felt weird. So, yeah, I, I never saw part six when it came out, and which is kind of a shame because before we recorded this, I went through and I watched all seven movies and uh, I actually enjoyed six for what it was on this viewing, this first viewing of it. And um, I mean, well, I'm sure we'll we'll talk in a little more detail about the different films, but um, it was very cartoony, very cheesy, very like early 90s in its scope of bad guys <laughs> like the bad guy was committing like a real estate fraud thing <laughs> so it, it was it was one of those things where it almost felt like a captain planet villain um <laughs> you know where it's it's less about like utter destruction and more about like ah, i'm gonna screw people over and get money you know like that kind of a thing um now part seven. Oh boy there's <laughs> that, that is an interesting film um well well, let me inter- interrupt you right here, if you don't mind, yeah. um, oh, because I, I have actually never never seen part seven. Uh, like you, I did go back and watch. Um, I watched the first four movies before we recorded. I didn't really feel like I had to watch the fifth and sixth ones because I remembered them a lot better, even mm-hmm. though even though I would totally have watched those and part seven uh, if I if I'd had the time uh, this week. It's just a just a busy week. But yeah, um, yeah let me just for the, again, for the sake of the listeners and for the sake of you and I uh, sort of going through the trajectory, uh, let me just sort of like run through the movies. Now I'm not going to do a whole um, summary, right. Of, of every, of every plot of every movie, but just sort of like a high point of like first movie, second movie, this is what they were. And then you yeah. tell me about part seven and we'll use that as our segue into, you know, well, what could it have been? Right. So obviously the first movie just called police Academy came out in 1984. We mentioned that already. And yeah, it's about uh, mostly about the main character of Carrie Mahoney, who 
and I wanted to mention this before, but he's sort of the uh, he's a he's a smiling guy, right? <laughs> Which I yeah. might sound kind of strange, but like he, as a main character for uh, a franchise in the '80s, having this main character who wasn't like a big muscle-bound tough guy or some uh, he wasn't some tortured soul, you know, like uh, Murta or Riggs from you know Lethal Weapon, but it's a guy. He was kind of a womanizer, but he he smiled, he had fun. And it occurred to me that he's he's like the Jim Halpert, like from The Office, right? That's exactly what Carrie Mahoney was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was kind of a small time crook, really just kind of goofing around, getting in trouble with the law. He goes to the police academy, meets up with the the ragtag band of misfits, and you know they kind of band together. And the most of the conflict is about um, the, the Harris, who, who another character we need to talk about, right? Who mm-hmm. Lieutenant Harris, who was an instructor at the police academy. He becomes the villain of the first movie. He comes back later on in the series in part four. Uh, and I think he's an important character for us to kind of reference as one of the big bads, right? Harris was mm-hmm. a, was an early one. Um, and, and yeah, there were, you know, the, the early recruits like Jones and uh, Hightower and Tackleberry and Fackler were all there from the beginning. And, you know, they all, they sort of like learn the error of their ways and band together and they all graduate and they prove that they're, um, that they're really capable police officers. And they prove that because there's a riot in the city where they live. And, and so we, instead of getting some kind of a cartoonish villain, like you mentioned, but there's like real danger to their community. Uh, you know, there's a, a street crime that goes, spirals out of control, turns mm-hmm. into a riot. Our recruits are called in because they need all every, every uh, man and woman they can get on the streets to help. And, you know, they kind of prove that they can handle it and they kind of save the day. And that leads into the second movie from 1985, their first assignment where it's one of actually uh, one of the few movies that has nothing really to do with the Academy and the Academy's only kind of a cameo in the movie, but yeah, they, all of our recruits are working together in uh, mostly working together in the same precinct with the captain their captain lassard who is the brother of commandant lassard uh who is the leader of the academy and the again we have street crime and so very much like the riot from the first movie that was like actual menacing danger now we have this street gang that is terrorizing the city led by zed played by um, (laughs) bobcat goldway in uh, and i don't know the timeline here but i believe it was this character that kind of launched bobcat goldwaite as like the comedian with the funny voice right it's kind of based on this character right i think in much the same way that like michael winslow his whole career was kind of like the guy who does the funny voices but that was like a character he played in these in these movies right Uh, Yeah, so you know they end up kind of going to battle with uh, this street gang, and you know going undercover and finding out where where they they hide out and infiltrating the gang. And there is a new antagonist in this movie who is uh, Mauser. Uh, he was another uh, police officer, I believe. He was maybe also a lieutenant, and he was trying to take over the precinct where the R recruits uh, were working. He so and he uh, you know was sort of a low down schemer. And uh, trying to weasel his way into taking over uh, the job as the captain of that precinct. And, of course, you know, he gets his comeuppance. (laughs) Um, And then in part three, we go back to the academy. I personally think that part three is a really, really interesting and well-made installment because it really combines the first two movies. You have the academy. You also have 
all of the original recruits who are now police officers and they're teaching at the academy or at least helping out to do so. And there's a mix of cast members and characters from the first and second movie. So we don't see George Martin or like Leslie Barbara from the first movie, but we also don't have every character from the second movie, you know, sticking around. Like we don't see, I think Kirkland again, I could be remembering that wrong. Um, but it's a really, really interesting mix of the first two movies. And I think those first three really work well as a trilogy. Uh, we get Mauser back as the antagonist. I don't think it's the the threat is as strong in the third movie, I'll say, because it's really just Mauser who has his own academy that's a rival to uh, Commandant Lassard's academy. And they're in this sort of struggle to find out, you know, which academy is going to get to survive, like budget cuts or something. Yeah. Um, so it's not quite as interesting in terms of the threat, but, you know, Mauser obviously is a schemer. And then in part five, part four, rather, uh, we get mm-hmm. citizens on patrol and we have the return of Harris as the uh, antagonist, as the big bad. And as again, it's very similar to the third movie. Very, very similar. And uh, back in training, if I didn't mention that was the third movie. And mm-hmm. so now we're back to new recruits. At the academy with our original recruits, uh, Hightower, Mahoney, Tackleberry, Hooks, Jones, etc. They're all there as instructors, and it's like now they've they graduated into being like the they're the old guard, and they're gonna bring in all all these new these new people kind of off the street, which is exactly what was happening in the first movie where the mayor of the city decided that they need more police that they're they're. Their police officers are too old. They're aging out. They don't have enough of them. And so they're saying, hey, forget the requirements, physical, you know, weight, height, age, et cetera, and just come. Anyone who wants to come and who can hack it through the program can make it. And that's exactly what happens again in part four uh, with, you know, with some some small differences. And again, we have, um, you know, we have Harris again there as well uh, as sort of our, our bad guy coming back to uh, to the to the franchise. Now, I didn't watch. Um, the fifth or sixth one again, again, and this week, but I saw them a thousand times as a kid. <laughs> and I think because they're, they're really goofy compared to the first four, the first four yes. fit the description that we've talked about for the last like 20 minutes about, you know, they're racy and raunchy and adult, but still fun and positive and have a really good message. And then the fifth movie is just like cartoonish and yeah, they go to Miami. So it's like, you know, it's like the Brady's go Hawaii or something. It's, you know, it's like. <laughs> They're going, yes. they're going to the beach and there's this silly uh, contrived plot about jewel thieves and they introduced like the commandant's um, uh, yeah. nephew or something. And, and it's just because they had to replace actors who didn't want to come back. In this case, Steve right. he, he lost. Mahoney. Yeah, he was the new Mahoney. <laughs> yeah. And it's like you see that on like on TV shows when they lose an actor. And now it's like, oh, well. Yeah, he had a cousin or he had a twin brother or you know, whatever. And it's like it's just a silly excuse to replace a character because, you know, real life, real life gets in the way. And right. then by part six, City Under Siege is just an absolute cartoon. The bad guys are even named things dumb like Ox or whatever, you know, <laughs> yes. and it's it, they're they're like Spider-Man villains. And, yeah, there's yeah. a the the main bad guy might as well be twisting his mustache and it's so watered down and you don't have as much quite as much of like the racy humor and it's like the genre has completely shifted. So I think that those first four movies really worked well together, especially the first three. It's like a trilogy and then almost like an epilogue. Uh, and then you have the two like silly ones that spawned that cartoon. Um, so yeah. So tell me about mission to Moscow. Cause I, I, I gave up after the silly city under siege installment. Well, one thing I, I do want to mention, um, uh, 
that, that you were talking about with each of the movies is when Harris comes in to be the the new the foil, like because Mauser is really only the foil for two and three. Uh, Harris yep. is the foil for the rest of the franchise. And um, it, but he kind of steals Mauser's toady because uh, Proctor. Yeah. Ends up being <laughs> the toady to Harris. I always found that to be weird as a kid. Because he was like the toady for Mauser, and then all of a sudden he was the toady for Harris. But you know, Harris was didn't have a toady in the first one. He had those two recruits that he was like, you know, oh, you guys are my, you know, going to be my my in to to f with the other cadets. Yeah, you, you know, know, I had there was uh, Blanks and Copeland. I had actually forgotten about those characters until yeah. about this recent rewatch. And not only did I forget that they were even in the movies, but I forget that they were. I forgot that they were recurring characters, especially Copeland. He's all the way into the fourth movie. I'm like, yep. how did I completely forget these guys even existed? And of course, as like a probably a six year old, when I first saw one of them, five or six years old, I thought Mauser and Harris were the same character for a very long time. I just, you know, I was too young to be keep paying attention to the names. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, it's a different guy playing them. You know, <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think it was until I had all of them taped off at HBO on my on, <laughs> right you know, on my VHS tapes that where I could watch them over and over and over again that I realized that wait a second, like why is he calling that guy a different name? Well, part seven. Just everything about it is is absurd. Um, there's this uh, Russian mafioso played by Ron Perlman, which surprised me. Um, but he's like he escaped. Uh, he escaped America like he was doing some some shady shit in America. Um, Commandant Lassard and his men almost took him down. He escaped back to Russia. And then the the Russian like a Russian commandant. Played by Christopher Lee, which really <laughs> threw me, um, okay. is friends with Lassard and it's like, oh, you almost took him down in America. He's trying more stuff back here. Maybe you can send help. So, of course, they send the guys over to Russia. They get like a crack team of people and it's like uh, Callahan and Tackleberry and frickin, uh, you know, Hooks is there, of course, and Lassard, or uh, yeah, Lassard goes and Harris and Proctor for whatever reason. Um, so they, they all end up going over to, to Russia to try to track down this like crime Lord who created a video game just called the game <laughs> that is, uh, basically the most popular video game in the entire world. Like so much so that we open up with a, a story on the news about it and the other anchor can't stop playing it on his game boy and like gets into a fight with his, his co-host. It was like, it was crazy. Um, and every time they show the game, it just looks really, really dumb. <laughs> like It doesn't make any sense. It's like a Russian bear beating up guys. Like it doesn't make sense. Um, but his whole master plan is that he's going to, he got, he has this like, uh, Bill Gates, like computer whiz captured in his, like his lair. And he's going to make him create up a, a key card. To, like, get a backdoor entry into all of the world's computers. So, because, of course, everything <laughs> works the same, right? Yeah, And, exactly. and he's, he's going to hide world it. in the same network. He's going to hide it in the new game. <laughs> so, <laughs> when you install the new game, he will have access to all of your information. The stock market and government secrets and all that stuff. So, that's the whole plot. Which it's, it's, it's ludicrous. I mean, you know, Callahan infiltrates his like nightclub and makes him fall in love with her. And 
it's it's wacky. Like it is a freaking cartoon. Like there's stuff that happens between him and Callahan that is like Pepe Le Pew and the cat. Like oh my it's gosh. it's so slapstick. Um, and I, I I can't lie. Like it was it was not enjoyable. Like it was not an enjoyable <laughs> ride. Um, but that being said, having watched part six for the first time, I really did enjoy it. So it's not that I hate the slapstick. I think what I enjoy about Police Academy is the the almost cartoonish crime, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like I, I like the fact that they were like Spider-Man villains and, and they were each of the robbers had a foil in the Police Academy. So it was like Ox was against Hightower and like I forget Garrett Graham's uh, uh, character. But again, I, I, the movie gets points with me for Garrett Graham because I, I love that guy. Um, but he was like the gun specialist. So of course, you know, he went against Tackleberry and then there was like the Kung Fu specialist that went against Jones. So it was <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I, I liked that. I liked that the, the main bad guy was like Dr. Claw, like hiding behind us. <laughs> yes. You like Inspector Gadget. Yeah. That's, <laughs> oh, was, that's so perfect. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And I think it speaks to a part of police Academy. And this is going to bring it back to what we need to talk about today. There's part of Police Academy that I think is a very important uh, concept that if we're going to talk about doing more Police Academy, we have to make sure this one aspect of it stays true. Police Academy exists in a world of like cartoon violence. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. everything in Police Academy is, is like it's based in reality, but like also has cartoon rules. So it's kind of thing where like a cigar will explode and like leave char marks on your face, but you won't have any burns. You know, yeah. you'll fall out a window and, and, you know, you'll you'll look like you're dead, but you'll be like, I'm OK. Like that's <laughs> the kind of stuff that we're dealing with here. An anvil will fall on somebody yeah. and they'll just have like a wrap around their head. You know, right. well, that's like, yeah, that, that, that became a little bit of a running joke, too, when like Zed like fell on the stairs or like crashed yeah. his motorcycle and he'd be like, that didn't hurt. That didn't hurt. <laughs> you, uh, know? you know? Yeah. And like, like the last like, one I always heard of. Yeah. I think, was it the first movie? But when we first get introduced, introduced, uh, no, in the second movie, we get introduced to sweet Chuck. He gets yes. his arm broken, uh, by mistake, uh, by Hightower. But yeah, you're right. I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause that's a really interesting uh, observation that seems very obvious now, now that you mentioned it. I'm like, yeah, you know, after that, like, uh, I, I mentioned the slapstick and the pratfalls and the three stooges style violence, especially against characters like Fackler and sweet Chuck and Zed, it became really, really silly. Like how over the top it was. And even with Mauser and Harris too, you know, like in part, it's a part four, I think where Harris like sprays his, his own underarms with mace instead of deodorant and like his arms literally smoke. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's really interesting too. I think that that's a really, uh, it's a cool concept to hang on to, especially if we're going to adapt to the police Academy, you know, in some way. And, and we'll kind of get to that in a minute. Um, so let's 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 definitely hang on to that. So we live in we're in a world where they have this sort of like cartoon physics, this sort of cartoon violence. Um, but then you know, there's also this thing where, with 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 few exceptions, the characters just seem to get away with everything. <laughs> yeah, know? it's like there's so much like, and and we need to address the the elephant in the room for anyone you know who does know about the series, which is that 
there's so much like sexism and yeah. racism and homophobia and just like uh, off color jokes and just taking advantage of people. But also the pranks are very violent and, and, uh, and there's lots of property damage and, and you know, um, just inappropriate, uh, um, inappropriate comments made to women. And so there's so many things that happen in the movie and it's all just kind of like laughed off with a smile. Like I mentioned with Mahoney played by Steve Gutenberg, just kind of smiling all the time. He's a smiler. Like, haha, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, hitting on this woman and being like a creep about it, or I'm going to, you know, play a prank on uh Mauser that in a, in the real world would cause like, you know, permanent physical damage. <laughs> and and right. it's all like, ha ha ha. We all laugh it off. Like, you know, Oh, Jim Halpert, you're so funny. But it's like, like, why do they just get away? I mean, and Tackleberry, who's, you know, we didn't really define the characters, but he's like this militaristic gun nut. How does he just get away with just like firing off every round in the chamber and then saying, oops, my bad. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, like they got on a plane in part five and Tackleberry still had all of his gear. You know, (laughs) like it's like, dude, you're carrying like a thousand guns on you at all times. Like, how is this possible? I know. And, there, and there's a scene where like some mother asks Tackleberry to help her like make her son go to school. And so yes. Tackleberry pulls out his like hand cannon and <laughs> oh, no. He, oh, no. He shoots a, a tear gas canister into, into the car, the right? Shoots yeah. it through the like messes up this lady's car, breaks the window and she thanks him like, oh, thank you, yep. officer. I'm like, what? <laughs> like you just like destroyed your car. <laughs> it's it's complete absurdity while while winking right at the camera like. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like, we know, we know this is silly, but this is the world this exists in. It's um like, okay, I, I know The Simpsons talks about this all the time. Uh, a friend of mine does <clears throat> does a, a podcast called So It's Come to This, a Simpsons family podcast, where they talk all about Fuck Simpsons love. episodes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, definitely check them out on, you know, <laughs> on Facebook and social media and all that. Uh, pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. But um I, I guess Matt Groening always says that the Simpsons exist in a rubber band reality. And mm-hmm. what that means is they can stretch like, okay, when the Simpsons first came out, like Marge and Homer, you know, grew up in like the seventies, but mm-hmm. now like Marge and Homer grew up in the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's a rubber band reality, but that, that also means like the, the slapstick nature of things that would normally injure people. Like it, it doesn't really do that here. You know, so it's it's the cartoon violence. It's all that kind of stuff. So I feel like Police Academy exists in that same kind of universe where things that would normally kill someone or get Mm -hmm. you thrown in jail or whatever doesn't work the same way. So, again, we have to frame whatever Mm -hmm. we do within that uh, that reality. And uh, I'm going to actually plug the Boogeyman's Closet here because we're talking about violence that, you know, would do so much more in real in real life. Um, versus this cartoonishness that we see in comedies. Home Alone. Home Alone is the perfect example. The stuff that the wet bandits have oh, done yeah. to them would murder them. Yep. And there is a, a, a great film called Better Watch Out, great horror movie uh, that is a kind of taking some cues from Home Alone and making a horror movie about it. Mm-hmm. There is an argument that two of the characters have about the paint can scene from Home Alone. Saying that the one character is saying, no, it would just totally knock the person out like it does in the movie. And the other guy is saying, no, it would kill them like it would shatter their face. And then this is done to someone in the movie. Oh, and it, it is horrifically violent. 
So it's one of those things where you take these concepts of mm-hmm. 80s and 90s comedies with this violent slapstick and pratfalls and all that, mm-hmm. and then you apply it to a realistic lens, and it suddenly becomes a, a freaking horror show. Sure. So if we're going to okay. talk about Police Academy, we have to make sure that slapstick is alive and well. I agree. Okay, so let's uh, let's stop burying the lead like 60,000 feet deep. <laughs> and, uh, and no, this is good. No, I think we, I think we nailed it. I think we have two very, very important elements for our setup here. Um, and one of them is this sort of retro reality. We mentioned several times that police Academy is very much a product of its time of its era. It's in the eighties, but also has the slapstick rubber band physics. So do you remember the Brady Bunch movie, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't remember what year it came out, but that was a really big hit. Uh, I believe in the 90s. Uh, yeah. Was it uh, uh, Maureen McCormick, I think, was in that. And But what I remember about that movie was, you know, seeing the Brady Bunch, which is this very sort of wholesome, like, pocket reality, you know, when it was mm-hmm. on originally. And then seeing those same characters, not not reinterpreted for the 90s, but just uh, brought plant, into the 90s. Yeah, just planted directly into the 90s with the same uh, fashion and speech patterns and personalities and 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 uh, and worldview that they had from the uh, was it the 60s and 70s the original uh, airing time of the Brady Bunch TV show, and so the contrast of like you know here's you know Greg Brady in you know the 90s and like the sort of uh you know grunge culture of that time and that just that juxtaposition was that was the comedy it was a fish out of water comedy where it was like a whole family of fishes out of water right and so i think we should do something like that not to the point of making it silly but let's contrast these characters who have this sort of three stooges rubber band physics reality and then we put that into a more of a modern setting and I'm not saying that we necessarily have to have these like silly cartoon characters, but like it would be really interesting to see a sort of very like out of the uh, headlines, modern, you know, no, uh, no primrose glasses view of the modern world. Yes. But with these characters that have this like silliness to them, I think to kind of lighten it up. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I, so I don't want to steal your thunder because I know that that you had mentioned this offline to me earlier. So I want to you know cue you up to kind of talk about it. But um, in terms of like, well, how do we do that, right? But I think, and, and well, we should definitely you know re envision this as like a TV series. I think there should be another television series. I think that's a good segue coming out of that really weird live action one from the '90s that nobody cared about, and like the right. animated series uh, that you know sort of made it like a, an actual cartoon. So let's re-envision it as a TV series instead of another movie and we'll bring it into the modern era and talk about like what it would be like if we saw Police Academy in 2021, 2022. You know, what how does that fit into the reality? How does a franchise of silly movies about the police mm-hmm. fit into the 2020s? Well, uh, for, first of all, we do have to mention um, they have been trying to resurrect Police Academy since the late 90s, like since after the television show. They wanted to do a reboot and for the film, but they couldn't get it off the ground. 2003, I think there was plans and then it got pushed a little later and it kept getting later and later. And unfortunately, more and more cast members started passing away. Um, but it has been recently stated 
that HBO Max has uh, picked up the property as well as um, I'm trying to think about the other one. Oh, uh, the Oceans movies apparently got picked up as well with this Police Academy deal <laughs> where they're going to be doing a Police Academy show and some more Oceans films for HBO Max. So this is the current plan. There's no, um, you know, time frame when it's going to happen or if it's still going to happen or if it's just like, hey, we bought the property. Now let's see what we can do with it type of thing. So we're envisioning if we were in charge of that, I think first and foremost, we would stick with something like HBO Max or Netflix. Like you'd have to do, you know, a direct to streaming type of program where you could get away with the uh, sex and violence, for for lack of a better term. Like we kind of need that in Police Academy. But uh, yeah, one of the things we were talking about off air, and and I do think it's it's perfect uh, for this, is anybody that's paying attention to what's going on in the world right now, we know that uh, there's a lot of tension with police, especially. Um, there's a lot of bad stuff that has happened in the last few years. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's, it's been there's been horrible racist things. There's been horrible violent things that very bad people in uniform have done. So the public perception of the police, I would say, is is pretty darn low overall. So we're, we're not going to just be like coming at this with, ah, ha, ha, police are funny kind of attitude. We understand that this is this is going to be a difficult sell. Um, but I think we use this to our advantage. I think we use the concept of public perception right now of the police and how people are viewing them, especially like in online circles and like stuff that people are requesting needs to be done with the police force. Uh, we include all of that in this concept. So we go back to the original film. What was the original concept for the film? We don't have enough cops. We need more cops. Fuck the physical attributes. Fuck all the, the standards that we normally have for cops. Anyone who wants to become a cop will get them into the police academy. If they make it through kudos, you're a cop. And then circling back with part four, we had citizens on patrol where they're like, you're not going to be cops, but you're going to be helping the police do their job. You're going to be helping us out there reporting things that you see. You're going to be our eyes and ears, making sure things are done right. I think both of those, since it's already existing in the police academy world, fit perfectly for what this is. We've talked about... In reality, we've talked about stuff like defunding the police. We've talked about like adding other factions to the police, like especially dealing with like mental health and stuff mm -hmm. like that, like having yep. those types of specialists. So this is perfect. We let we have. Uh, OK, so let's let's just jump right in. We're going to have obviously Commandant Lassard has passed away in real life. So and it's, you know, however many years since the first police academy. So I think you mentioned this, uh, that what if Mahoney was the new commandant? Yeah, you know, yeah. Let me jump in here for a second. So I, I think yeah. that's that you, you, you got it exactly. You know, um, you're, or you're exactly where I was kind of headed as well. Uh, in terms of, you know, let's 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 just go ahead and face, you know, the the the, the politics that we're that we're looking at today. And and yeah. I don't know. I, I think anyone writing this type of a series would it would be hard pressed to not fall down on one side of the political spectrum or, or another. But I think that we can we can do our best to kind of ride uh, the middle, you know, in terms yes. of a viewpoint, right? I think even people on on the right would be able to 
agree that there's there's problems with the police um and even if you're even if the only problem that you're admitting to is a problem of perception this still exists right that that yeah. there's a, people are calling to defund the police there's a lot of there's protest against police violence and of course people on the left you know they're the ones who are calling for those changes to be made the systematic changes to be made yes. to how we as a society police ourselves and, you know, who's watching the Watchmen, right? Is, is yeah. there anyone policing the police? And it seems like social media right now is policing the police. So I like this idea of let's incorporate some of these real world ideas of social media or sorry, um, mental health experts and people whose job it is to diffuse situations or to negotiate situations or simply just to kind of, uh, you know, be, like I said, like I said, be the eyes and ears. And so, yeah, I think Mahoney is the right choice as the focal point because he was the focus of the first four movies, the good movies, we'll say. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even though, yeah, I do like the cartoonish nature of the fifth and sixth ones a lot, but, you know, yeah, he was really the heart of the, the series for the, through the first four movies. And, he he would be in his 60s now, I believe, Steve Gutenberg, so the age would work. But yeah, we, we need to do a Cobra Kai approach to yes. Mahoney as the focal character. And, you know, for anyone who isn't familiar with Cobra Kai, you know, it's a, a, a reboot or it's a, a – not a reboot. It's a, um, a new installment in the Karate Kid franchise that was a franchise mostly – dormant uh minus the uh jaden smith uh karate kid in name only you know kind of yeah. reboot um but you know the, there was four movies and a cartoon and they tried a tv show and all that and again get another big franchise from the 80s one that i would love to tackle here maybe eventually on uh, raised by rentals um but you know it, cobra kai it has been this really big hit started on youtube and now it's on netflix which is the perfect venue to explore whatever happened to all these guys and instead of going back and looking at the main character of the original Karate Kid and, and Daniel Russo, played by Ralph Macho, instead you have, well, what about, what about the guy who lost the karate fight? You know, the guy who was the bully, the bad guy, you know, whatever, you know, Johnny Lawrence, um, played by what's his name, William Zabka. And now you get fast forward, you know, 30, whatever, some odd years and, this guy who had been confident and, and strong and very full of himself, very cocksure, you know, rich boy, karate expert, get, getting the girl and the friends. And now, you know, he's hit rock bottom. His life sucks. He's going nowhere. But it's his interaction with, like, the new generation and the modern world that is the focal point of the show because he's forced to come out of this sort of alcoholic depression uh, of a shell that he's lived his life in for a long time and interact with teenagers, with young people, but also with just modern culture. Like, he didn't know what Facebook is because he was so unplugged, you know, from yeah. the trends. And so you get this fish out of water again, this uh, man out of time. Mm -hmm. uh, who was a big deal in the 80s, and now he's trying to navigate what it's like to, you know, to be relevant uh, and and useful in some way in the, you know, in the the in the 21st century. And it's a really really interesting take on the character, and they have plenty of time to go into the the story arc, the backstory, the psychosis, the the inner world of all of these characters that are associated with the credit kid franchise. And they start with the basics, right? Just the main yep. characters from the first movie. And then over time, they introduce characters from the second movie. And, you know, we're looking forward to characters from the third movie that are coming up yep. in, in upcoming seasons. 
And who knows? We might get characters from the fourth movie. You know, Hillary Swank was the Karate Kid, right? right. Hillary Swank might even come back. That would be that would be amazing. Like that would be a cool, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a cameo or whatever they wanted to do with her. But oh, the point absolutely. is, we do a similar approach. We have plenty of time to really investigate and explore all of our characters, our our big cast of characters, Hightower and Hooks and Jones, and or maybe not all of them, because like I said, you know, like I mentioned before, some of the of characters have gotten a little old or they've passed. And actually, you know, both uh, act, the actress who played Hooks and the actor who played uh, Hightower have passed. Um, but we can look at these characters and see what are they doing in the modern world. But with so many of them having passed on or simply aged out. Mahoney, still relatively young in his 60s, is a really good focal character to look at. And here's this guy who was a big deal in the 80s when it was okay to be like a womanizer and a prankster and kind of just get away with whatever. And like people just laugh it off and ha ha ha. Now I'm going to go home with the girl. And what does that look like in the 21st century? And how does he relate? You know, Um, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like he would be the Johnny type character mm-hmm. uh, in, in the sense of like, he's still going to try to do what was relevant for him when he was on the police force, yep. only to be corrected by his his, you know, new recruits and his cadets to be like, you know, oh, wait, wait the, the, I can't do that now. Like that kind of stuff. I feel like that opens up a world of possible comedic, you know, jokes uh, with just kind of like showing how shit used to be and how that don't fly no more, you know, and how sometimes it's as simple as someone just doesn't understand and they need to be shown, you know, and Mahoney could be that guy who's like, wait, oh, shit, I didn't know that wasn't cool. You know that and and learn kind of the way Johnny does with uh, I always forget his um his neighbor kid, the guy he's teaching. Um, oh, is it Miguel? Is that Miguel. Name? Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like kind of the way Miguel would show him, you know, and be like, you know, hey, this is this is how it's done now. Um, but there's also that cool dynamic with Johnny and Miguel where it's like Johnny shows Miguel like, you know what? Sometimes the old way is better. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. with, obviously with comedic stuff, but I'm just saying that sometimes it's it is just get out there and fucking do it. You mm-hmm. know, like, yeah. don't don't jump through 20 hoops type of thing. Um, so I, I feel like we're going to be playing a lot with the whole old versus new, all that, uh, you know, and, and we're obviously going to be talking about differences between the 80s and now um but yeah so we would have we would have mahoney clearly as as the the focal point like you said he would be commandant um which is going to be just weird to say commandant mahoney Uh, (laughs) but so he would be the leader but here's here's how i think you bring people in like obviously michael winslow is still alive and kicking and he's doing stand-up and all sorts of stuff we have to bring in jones i mean Mm -hmm. he's he's his sound effects like that whole fact that he can make cartoon sound effects in reality <laughs> kind of encompasses what Police Academy is. It's a cartoon in reality. Yeah, so, yeah, and he's a really good example of a character that I can imagine the younger, more modern characters like looking at him and just thinking he's such an old, weird guy, like this silly guy making these silly noises. Like I can't believe he thinks those fart noises are funny. You know, right. they're going to kind of make fun of him. You know, but. You know, so he'll be a little bit of like the butt of a joke, but like, you know, over time, there's a there's an opportunity there for you know people to sort of see past the surface and, and really see that he's a much more multi-layered, multi-layered person. Right. Totally agree. Now we can now I, I think this is where we kind of get into the the new recruits. 
Um, we can play with some of the continuity. Like, Tackleberry does have a son. That's in continuity. Mm-hmm. So we can have a new Tackleberry in the Academy. Okay, so yeah. we can have Tackleberry's son, who, and we already saw as, like, when he was, like, eight years old, and in in, I want to say it was either, it was, I think it was part six, um, where we, we see his son. His son was just as militant and, like, gun crazy as his parents, because his whole, well, his whole family, like, his extended <laughs> family, were they were all freaking gun nuts. But I feel like that's going to be a good analog for having that, like, crazy like you know you know super cop type of character that we're gonna need for this type of comedy for him to not only see the error of that but see where he can be helpful you know we can have that type mm-hmm. of character where he's definitely going to be the butt of jokes because you know it's it's tackleberry tackleberry was a lot of <laughs> a lot of part a lot of the the humor in those movies um so we can bring him back now we definitely have to have we have to have those archetypes so we have the, the high tower type character who's like the huge strong guy. You know, we had the same character with House. So we have yeah. to bring in some kind of like, you know, big, like overly strong dude who just has a heart of gold. So we're going to need that type of character. We already have the gun nut character with Tackleberry Jr. Um, you know, maybe we have the, the very unsure of themselves, soft spoken uh, type of character who I, I think this is uh, something that would be really fun is to have a character like hooks kind of where very soft spoken and meek, but have them be like very brash and bold online. Mm-hmm. Cause keep in okay. mind hooks was the, she ended up being like the, um, uh, which I'm gonna call it the dispatcher. She yeah. was behind like, so she was watching all the monitors. She was calling shit out. Like, and when she was behind a screen, she was most comfortable. Mm-hmm. So what if the new hooks type character is like, for lack of a better term, a keyboard warrior. Like behind a yep. screen, you know, he's all with it. He's, you know, he's, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And then in reality, he's like, oh shit. Like, and yeah. he's very meek and mild. And he has to learn how to come out of his shell and live with reality and not what he what he perceives reality to be behind his computer screen. Yeah, I um, think that's, that's a really, a really interesting. Uh, concept you mentioned too is for terms of like facing reality because I feel like there's going to be a lot of conflict between like the 80s generation with Mahoney and the modern generation just dealing with the fact that you have so many people who are like living online right now who are experiencing the world through the lens of the media and the internet uh, and, and news outlets and so yeah you're you have on on one far end of this political spectrum, you have the the social justice warriors or you know whatever you want to call them. You have these folks who are just looking uh, to expand the quote unquote like cancel culture, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of trying of of calling out folks who are offensive in some way. Again, that they're racist or homophobic or sexist or perceived to be, you know? Yes. And so we, we have, we have this cancel culture that for a lot of folks is a good thing. And for a lot of folks is a bad thing. Um, and you're right. We have these sort of like keyboard warriors, you know, who are very, very politically active online. And then you have other people who are very, very politically active in real life. You have, you know, the protest movement has really, really been reborn in the past yes. you know, couple of years. So I think that there's, should be a character also who is very modern, but in the, another sort of a way where they're the protester, you know, they're out there on the streets with the placards and the slogans, and they're just championing for every single cause. 
and maybe, but maybe they're like, well, I don't even own a cell phone, you know, I'm, I'm vegan and, right. you know, and, you know, and, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? And it's like, they, they, they have all of these sort of like adjectives and, you know, um, because they're so, uh, you know, there's such a, for a certain end of the, the political spectrum, um, you know, they're out there in the streets and then, you know, and, and, and I don't see that being like the Tackleberry character or the Hightower character. And that could be something a little bit, you know, a little bit newer for us. It's almost like, uh, almost like a Zed just in terms of like being a little nuts, a little extreme. And, and I, right. I want to play with that because I don't want it to be the kind of thing where it's like you're gonna watch this show and you're gonna be like oh well you know this is a lefty show or like this is you yeah. know or, or this or this is a you know right-wing you know uh propaganda disguised as you know as as, as, a, as, a, as, as comedy and then we're gonna put all these like social justice warriors on here and then we're just gonna make fun of them and show you everyone how silly and stupid they are and they don't know anything about the real world like i really want to try to present every one of these viewpoints but do it in the way that that police academy did it with stereotypes and extreme examples, you know, exactly. like let's use that for our advantage. I mean, Hightower was the big giant, like, you know, black guy, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't put up with racism, you know, but right. he's also kind of like literally like the elephant in the room. Cause he was afraid of, of mice and he was a florist, you know? Yeah, so it's like, he had this gentle side, exactly. you know, and, uh, and everybody, everybody was a stereotype, but it wasn't done maliciously. And I think we no. can do the same thing, like make everyone a stereotype, but the, the purpose of it is to explore like how they're interacting with each other in the real world by putting them in the microcosm of this academy. Well, and, and I think that's, that's a really good point to bring up is the, the, the stereotype thing. There was nuance with this. And that is something that I, unfortunately, and I, I don't want to get too political, but unfortunately, I feel like nuance is lost with a lot of people today. Mm-hmm. Like, thankfully, you know, most of the people in my world, you know, all my friends, family and all they understand nuance and like if you look at police academy just on the surface and this is something i had mentioned when we were chatting off the air um you look at police academy on the surface and it does seem very homophobic it does seem yeah. very racist and all that but a lot of those jokes were used to either prove a point or it had a deeper level of comedy to it like for example the blue oyster cult or blue oyster club mm-hmm. yep you know Everyone's like, oh, it's the big gay club. Ha ha ha. Like that was that was the on the surface joke. But if you actually pay attention, the joke is on the homophobes, mm-hmm. the people who are like who go to the club and are terrified of, oh, God, it's the big burly gay man. Like yep. the people that are scared of it, they're the butt of the joke. It isn't that. Ha ha ha. These guys are gay. It's ha ha ha. You're a fucking homophobe. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what the joke was. Or like, um, I forget Harris's two cronies. You mentioned him earlier. Um, oh, there was uh, Blanks and Copeland. Co- yeah, Blanks Copeland. So the the blonde dude who Copeland. drove, yeah, Copeland. He drove the the car with the fucking um, uh, Confederate flag on it. Oh yeah, yep. And he was the one who used racist terms towards hooks. So it wasn't like ha ha ha, racism is funny. He was repeatedly getting his comeuppance. It was showing yep. you what a buffoon this asshole was. So that's the thing I enjoy about these films is there is a nuance to those jokes where it's like, yeah, we're not just doing racist jokes because haha, racism is funny. We're showing you what an asshole these types of people are who perpetuate those types of things. And mm-hmm. that's, Again, that's a very important distinction that I don't think the 
the average, uh, I don't want to say viewer, but because I think, feel like if you watch the movie, you get it. But the, yeah. the average passerby or bystander of like, oh, those police academy movies, like, oh, aren't those just filled with like dick and fart jokes and racist stuff? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like they would miss that. So that is one thing I really would want to keep with this series is if we're going to use the types of 80s jokes, it has to be layered. It has to work in that way where we're making fun of the right people, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, so. I agree. And I, I think you're totally right. And you mentioned it to me earlier, again, offline uh, about the Blue Oyster Club. And when we were kind of talking, you know, can pull the curtain back one more time. We were kind of talking about like, like how far do we want to get into this political stuff? We don't want to like, you know, polarize our audience on the second episode. Right. Um, but I think you're right. I think that they, they, they treated racism and homophobia with more nuance and respect than, just like, as, as you just explained, like then the average person might might admit to or might realize or, you know, they, they just automatically assume that because they're stereotypical characters in the movie stereotypes like the the, the leather boy, you know, uh, gay guys at the club that automatically then they're homophobic and they're making fun of them because I, I don't think that that's what it was. I think you're right. You know, and, and Mauser in the especially in the third uh, movie uh, with the, uh, the Asian uh, recruit uh, Nogata. Right. Super yeah. crazy racist. Um, oh, yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, the movies were they're a product of their time and there were words used and jokes made that at the time were completely normal. But now nowadays they just wouldn't fly. So there is a distinction between what was offensive at the time and what was OK at that time or at least socially acceptable, because in, in the same movie, you have those same things you have you know, gay characters who are treated with a little bit more respect than I think people give it credit to. But then you also have characters, you know, using like, uh, you know, the other F word, you know, yeah. uh, in, in, in passing, which again was okay at the time and it was acceptable, but is yeah. definitely not now, you know, and you, so you run into sort of like the sort of M&M problem of like, it's really good and we get where you're coming from and we understand the context of the time period, but it's still kind of cringy <laughs> now. Exactly. You know? But I think that that's a story uh, opportunity, not something to br- to sweep under the rug. Because, again, the whole point here is to put the two uh, ends of the spectrum together and let Mahoney and the other instructors at the academy be the sort of like tough guys, you know, the dads who are going to be trying to get these, you know, these people who like live their lives online to kind of like face reality a little bit and see what it's really like out there in the streets. And, you know, you're calling to defund the police, but you don't really know what the police are facing on a daily basis. So like, like let's get out there and, and see it and see the gritty reality of how dangerous it really is to be a police officer and how maybe you would, you know, make an extreme, uh, you would jump to an extreme conclusion in certain circumstances if your day-to-day life was constant disrespect and constant danger, you know, and, and, you know, uh, long hours and discomfort and putting up with just so much crap and, and everybody hates you, you know, imagine what that would do to your psyche, you know, but at the same time, let the, let the newer, younger, leftier, crunching granola generation you know uh teach mahoney's crew that hey you guys can't get away with saying stuff like that anymore you can't get away you know like mahoney's got to make some kind of a joke about uh you know with one of the female characters maybe not a recruit but maybe you know a friend or an employee or a reporter because he was always making these sort of sexist comments you know Mm -hmm. about you know uh like making jokes about, you know, Oh, is that a balloon or are you happy? Just happy to see me, you know, or, right. or, or right. 
or whatever, or, or the, uh, yeah. is it the fourth movie when the, when Sharon Stone of all people who's in the fourth movie, right. you know, when she offers to take uh, Hightower's dog home and then Mahoney's like, Oh, can I come to you? I'm housebroken. Ha ha ha. And like, that's a pretty tame example of there's some other examples that were a lot worse. And yeah. I think the new generation needs to kind of teach Mahoney like, dude, like, that's not cool. Like you, you, yeah. you, you flash your, your twinkling little smile and think that, ha ha ha, I'm so cute and, and a little, a little naughty and a little raunchy, but like, Nah, dude, like it doesn't fly, you know, and exactly. they need to teach each other those lessons because they, they, there's a lot to learn from the other side. Well, and one thing I, I do want to mention with the, the sexism, uh, again, going back to the police academy level of nuance, um, we had the characters like like Mahoney who were constantly making the, you know, brash and, uh, you know, sexist comments toward the ladies in the film. But then you flip the script and we have a character like Callahan who was basically mm-hmm. taking what she wanted from whoever she wanted. <laughs> like, exactly. she, w- she was the tough woman who took no shit from nobody, and if she wanted you, she was going to get you. Like, you know, she would flat out tell you. So it was like we had the, the strong female character in the same crew as these other knuckleheads. So there was that, just, I mean, granted, don't get me wrong, it still is problematic when you look at yes, it. Yes, yes. But... There was a level of nuance, especially interesting for the 80s, yeah. you know, because because I mean, this is the same generation that gave us Porky's, you know, and yeah. there's no nuance there. <laughs> You're right. Porky's, Meatballs and heck, even Revenge of the Nerds, which, you know, is held up as this Ooh. comedy classic. But like, it's very rapey, like super I, rapey. Dude, <laughs> he, yes. I, you know? Oh, my God. I went down this rabbit hole talking about this at work. I'm like, if you look at Revenge of the Nerds, the nerds are the bad guys. Yes. Like. They legitimately, they, they go like, okay, so the, the other, um, uh, frat house pranks them. Oh, they the let alpha, the alpha betas, right? Yeah, the alpha betas. Yeah. So the alpha betas let some, some pigs loose in their party. Like, ha ha, you know, we let some pigs run around your house. We threw some beers at your porch. Like, yeah, they're assholes. So what do they do? They like, they, <laughs> they break into the sorority that these, like the girls that these guys are dating. Mm-hmm. hide fucking cameras so they can record these women changing and showering. And then the one dude disguises himself as her boyfriend to freaking rape her. Like, yes, the, the nerds are the villains. Like you could make a horror movie out of this. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree completely. And I, and I, I think police Academy is unfairly like lumped in with those types of movies as like, yeah. Oh, like, you know, the, these really, and, and animal house is like, uh, that's a whole nother thing. Like there's just, oh, yeah. there's so much wrong with these movies. And then even into the nineties with like Van Wilder, like everyone loves Ryan Reynolds. I mean, every, mm-hmm. every, every guy in the world has a crush on Ryan Reynolds. I mean, and, and he, he, you know, he, he's a man God, but like, have you seen Van Wilder recently? Like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like, hold up. It's, it's, it's really, really bad. It's really, really terrible. So yeah, there's just, there's, I don't, and I don't think the police academy falls into that. I think it's problematic, but it's very much of its, of its time. And, you know, had it been made now fresh, brand new, you know, it, it I, I think they could, they could have gotten away with the same level of pushing the envelope and stretching the, you know, the, the shock value of what you can get away with, because that's what makes it funny. But right. you, you just, you wouldn't have had certain words, you know, certain jokes would have been cast in a different light. And I, but I think in general, 
you know, the fact that it became so cartoony was a little bit of a natural progression because the characters have a lot of heart. The stereotypes are easy for for younger viewers and casual viewers to just grasp immediately. Like everyone knows exactly who Hightower is, who Jones is, who Hooks is, who Tackleberry is with like one scene. Like they were all introduced in a really, really quick scene in the first movie. And like, you get it, you get it like, boom, like that's just good writing. Right. Yeah. And, uh, um, and that's why it, they became, you know, so lasting, right? They have a, they became memorable is the word I used earlier because they were simple to understand, but they also were multi-layered with a lot of heart, which we got to, you know, learn. And by the end of the very first movie, you know, they're like a family. And yeah. like, and it's like, again, it's really, really well written. And that's why we're still talking about it. You know, these, you know, <laughs> 30, whatever years later, and, you know, we want to rescue it. And that's what I want to do. I want to rescue police Academy from uh, the Same. reputation of this, uh, like junk, uh, trash comedy that it, it seems to have. Cause I don't think that the reputation is justified, but I also don't think that it's this like silly cartoon goofiness that a movie like mission to Moscow, you know, probably, that probably is justified, you know, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but like as a, but as a whole, like, no, like there is, there, there, there's a lot here. So, yeah. So I think you're right. So I think what we do is we mirror the misfit recruit cast from the first movie. So you have your high tower, who's your strong, silent type. You know, he's the, he's the big guy, you know, the guy who's, you know, he's been so big his whole life that maybe he either doesn't know his own strength or is maybe even like afraid to hurt people because, you know, yeah. he he's he, it's hard to move sometimes when you're that big. And then you have your Jones character and he's your, you know, your your punk, you know, your your uh, your silly, you know, kind of clever, you know, funny jokester kind of a guy, which, you know, side note for, you know, any fans like me who are fans of the Wheel of Time, um, uh, Hightower and Jones are Perrin and Matt. And uh, and even if you've seen the new uh, Amazon TV show, um, you can kind of see the, 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 the correlation between Hightower and Perrin and Jones and Matt. Uh, although, you know, Matt in the books is much more of a of a of a jokester, prankster, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mahoney type, I guess, you know, but he's also, you know, very fun living and, and wisecracking. But anyway, just, just a little side note. I always think of them as the parent and Matt characters. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived with those characters in my head since the sixth grade. So they, they become like a, like a sounding board. Um, right. so you have your strong silent type, you have your like sort of like punk hip, hip hop, uh, you know, kind of fun jokester guy. You have Tackleberry, who's sort of like your gun nut. Um, and, and, and maybe that's an offensive term. I don't know because, well, I think that a Tackleberry character is the perfect character to come from the right side of the spectrum. And I don't want to use a nerd term like, oh, you're just a nut. Because, no, I, I, again, we're trying to, to, to be magnanimous and, and, uh, looking at both sides of the argument. So, you know, he's your militaristic, you know, gun aficionado, you know, right. um, and, uh, you're maybe he, maybe, you know, he's in a militia or something like that. I don't know if you want to go that far, but. So you have the, so you have your high tower, you join the Tackleberry, your hooks, you mentioned already, that's your, your online keyboard warrior, right? Who's quiet in real life and, and, and sort of, uh, a wilting, sort of a shrinking violet kind of a character, but is, you know, just totally on fire, which is own like TikTok or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know? Uh, and in the first movie, we had, uh, George Martin or Martin, who doesn't recur in any of the other movies, but he's like the ladies' man, you know? He's the, but he's also <laughs> like, 
He's also problematic in terms of like his uh, his racial uh, uh, presentation. He's sort of uh, appropriating like another culture. And I think you could yeah. do something interesting with a character like that who like learns a lesson from that. You know, this is a white guy yeah. pretending to be a Latin guy to like get girls, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's like I think you could do something there. Um, and, then, and then, of course, you have your Fackler and Sweet Chuck, who are very, very, very similar characters to each other. They are almost, you know, interchangeable as like the the clumsy, nerdy guys who are always like the butt of all the pratfall jokes. Right. I, I feel like, OK, going back to the Tackleberry character for a minute, I feel like this is you mentioned the right. And this is the perfect example of bringing in someone and this is i don't know how if i'm, I'm going to explain this correctly but one of the things i want to do with this is show that sometimes the other side isn't what you think it is from your interactions online and watching the news sometimes it's literally just someone who is ignorant to what you're going through yeah okay. sometimes it's it's literally just someone who was raised in a different scenario and never took the time to understand someone else's point of view. Mm-hmm. So like, cause, cause I, cause I would, I, I feel like, cause Tackleberry was never a bad guy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I forget his wife's name, but like they were both like really good people, but clearly extremely loyal to the police. And they were very much about the, their second amendment rights. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they, I could see them being like the, you know, this household is Republican, but not even paying attention to what that means to like a whole other half of the country, mm-hmm. you know, that like, Hey, yeah, you're voting in this way, but this is what it's doing to us. And here's why we're against it type of thing. I feel like he would be a perfect example of coming out of a sheltered household mm-hmm. into the real world from the, the right, like from, you know, the right leaning political spectrum coming in and then like kind of seeing like, wait, people are against the police. Like, but, but no, the police are the good guys and like not understanding why yeah, a, little, a little sheltered yeah right yeah and then we could have in the same and the same token we could have a character like like the hooks character who's going to be you know the keyboard warrior maybe he's only he's in that echo chamber of like you know down with the police all police are bad you know the what is it uh um oh god all, all cops are bastards was ab or a cab yeah. or something yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that that whole thing <laughs> um uh, well, that's the thing. Like, uh, like you know, you see that everywhere. Like, I mean, I, hell, that was in the um, Dead Island, the video game. Like, there's a sure. there's a scene where you go or a level where you go into the police station and it's been like overrun and and like that's spray painted on the walls and stuff in there. Um, but yeah, so you know, he's he's this character or she. I, I don't know if we want to have have this character, the Hooks character, be male or female, but I picture him like this this scrawny little white dude with glasses who's mm-hmm. like you know, all badass online, but then like terrified in, in, in real life, you know, because maybe he's gotten his ass kicked a couple of times. So he's a little nervous around people. Um, you know, so I feel like he would be the opposite to Tackleberry where it's like, Oh no, this is, this is my world. This is, and then sees the bullshit that mm-hmm. they have to put up with on the police force. And he's like, Oh shit, it's more level. It's more layered than I thought it was, you know, that type of yeah. thing. And I yeah. feel like we can play with both of those characters in showing that, yeah, both sides have really fucking good points, but neither side has it 100% correct all the time, you know, yeah. when it comes to this issue. Yeah, I agree completely, too. And I think it would be I don't know if it 
fits one of the stereotypes of the characters that we already have. And I'm kind of like just looking down this Wikipedia list of the major characters trying to see like where, <laughs> where it might fit. Um, but, you know, when in talking politics in general, especially when it comes to things like gun rights and gun ownership, I think that people and maybe it's just me and maybe I'm exposing my own uh, uh, myopic point of view or my own life experiences. But I feel like the people tend to jump to the conclusion or at least the mental image of some like white guy from the South or, you know, Texas Mm -hmm. or whatever, who's, you know, who's campaigning for, you know, gun rights and is thinking of, you know, like rifles and shotguns and maybe even semiotic weapons. And, you know, is, is they're using it for hunting and for like protecting the homestead. And I think there's this sort of stereotype of, of, uh, you know, gun rights, advocates are that type of a person you know um sort of like from the country and you know again they have they have guns for hunting and and etc and protection but then you also have people in 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 the cities in bad neighborhoods you know in ghettos for and i have no idea if that word is is politically (laughs) correct anymore and i'm sorry if it's not um but you and 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 these people are there have they have guns because there is crime in those neighborhoods and they do need to protect themselves and their right. families you know and yeah maybe it's a little bit of a fantasy and maybe i'm getting political here but maybe it's a little bit of a fantasy that you know some some country family on a ranch somewhere would need to like you know protect their family with their guns and you might question like do you really like who's really attacking you you right. know like I, I get it you need it for hunting or you know or or for sport and that's fine but then you have people who are living in these like urban areas where they might actually need a gun for protection and right. you know they've never seen a deer in their life but it's about you know literally uh you know being able to survive in some situations or at least to be able to represent that that you have the ability you know to stand on your own so i think having both of those characters in the show would be really interesting uh we'd be again since we're talking about stereotypes we can go for like you know the white country guy in the camo versus you know the um you know the uh uh you know person of color maybe from an urban area you know or we could flip the script and just you know let's swap the genders swap the races and kind of mix it up a little bit but let's have the stereotype of the urban strapped person versus right. the you know the 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 rifle toting you know uh country boy well and, and i think something you mentioned there it really struck a chord with me because i mean i grew up in downtown niagara falls i grew up on 22nd street in niagara falls for anyone who knows the area um it wasn't the, like it wasn't bad but it also wasn't the greatest there, there was a lot of poverty in that area uh you know a lot of people who were doing what they could to get by and I grew up, there were guns in my house. Now, I knew not to touch them. I knew that, you know, I, I that basically they were not toys. They were meant mm-hmm. strictly for protection. I never once saw my dad ever do anything with them. Because um, if he ever, like, cleaned them or anything like that, like, he locked himself in his bedroom. So we didn't know, you know, he was in there cleaning them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it was one of those things where that was the whole reason we had him. Now, my dad never talked about him. He wasn't out there like, you know, yeah, guns are awesome. You know, he wasn't doing any of that. It was just like we had them. They were there. Our house was broken into three times before we finally were like, we need to move. Yeah. Um, You know, like, there was one particular incident where a guy tried to break in when my mom was home with my sister and brother when they were very little. 
you know, and he was screaming and pounding on the door and she got my dad's shotgun and like held it up at the window and he took off running like she had already called the cops. But it's like there are incidents like that that happen to people. And, you know, then they end up feeling, you know, a very strong way about, you know, uh, the Second Amendment rights. Now, we don't want to get too political in, in, in all this. And I have my own views on on gun politics um, where I think I, I really do feel like we need to have more laws on it. But at the same time, the idea of abolishing it altogether doesn't sit right with me either. Um, so th- there are going to be people out there like that who grew up in an environment where they did feel necessary for protection. But it's not something that you're going to like bandy about. You know, you're not going to be like, yeah, I got my guns type of thing, but they're going to be a part of your life. Yeah, so. exactly. I think I think both sides that like urban versus rural, um, both sides of that dichotomy could make the argument that, well, you don't need a gun, but I do. Right. You know, and, and have that argument, you know, go both both ways. But the point is that. Again, the whole idea is we're going to take these stereotypes, but then show people how that Venn diagram overlaps, right? Yeah, that exactly. there's that there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of common ground, and that's what I think that the show should be aiming to do as a theme. Like, yes, it's yes. a comedy. Yes, it's about bringing back this franchise everybody loves. Yes, it's about making commentary on the sort of silliness of like certain you know, extreme points of view or certain myopic, you know, uh, perceptions or refusals to sort of like face reality. But right. what, it's, what it's really going to be about is, hey, like, let's all realize that that we have so much common ground and we're all in the mm-hmm. fight together and um we don't have to agree on everything but right. you know we can but we can uh you know see where the other person is coming from and have empathy toward that person yes. you know I, I i'm i'm gonna misquote it uh because i don't have it in front of me but i'm just thinking about it but um I know I remember when John McCain and Barack Obama were campaigning, you know, against each other. And there was a lot of uh, political vitriol against Obama through, really throughout, you know, his entire uh, presidential political career, uh, right. you know, with the birthers and or just racists or people thinking, yeah. you know, people thinking he was some kind of a terrorist or whatever, whatever it is. I'm not making any commentary on that. But what I am making commentary on is I on more than one occasion, John McCain, you know, his political rival on the opposite side of the spectrum uh, during political events was filmed on record as, you know, as defending Barack Obama. Yep. Uh, when somebody in the audience would say something about, oh, you know, I, I hate Bur- I hate Obama because of this. He's a bur- he's not born here. He's a terrorist. Making some sort of a claim, and and John McCain would say, you know, no, ma'am. He's a yep. good, upstanding family man and an American. But we just happen to disagree on a few crucial issues, and that's why I'm campaigning against him. Yep. But the fact that he wor- he phrased it in that way made me respect John McCain so Same. much more than I did before that, because regardless of how you feel about his political views or his background or anything, the fact that he as a politician in the 21st century was able <laughs> yeah. to in a public venue say, no, my 
you know, a political rival is not some kind of an evil slime ball, but is instead, you know, a, a respectful and respected human being. Uh, and we just happen to disagree. Yeah. And I think like, who does that? No one does that. I mean, I can't think of any other example of anyone who's done that. I feel like that was the last time in, in, uh, particularly American politics where we have seen, uh, somebody with that kind of couth and respect for their opponent and and I feel like that was that was very important on both sides of the fence because Obama was the same way with McCain. Like mm-hmm. th- they they you could tell that they both respected one another, but they just disagreed on you know policies. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I wish it was still like that. I really do. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I do too. But it's we can help. Circus. We can help with our police academy revival. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, one thing I want to address to the, the listeners. We did discuss off the air uh, if we were going to be able to actually talk about something like this because this is a hard thing to to re- reimagine um, just because you can't do it without getting into politics. And, you know, lighthearted and politics kind of don't go hand in hand. Um, so yeah. I feel like we, we, we still have to address, you know, the, those topics, but... Uh, we can make this to be a fun, lighthearted show. So getting to the show at hand, I feel like season one. So we're going to do like uh, we, we talked about doing a show Bible, basically, for the mm-hmm. or story Bible for the for the for the season. Um, I think we got our main cast of characters. We got our archetypal characters. Uh, one thing that we're going to have is our foils. Now, I think our foils need to be the the cops who don't want things to change. Mm-hmm. They need to be the police officers who are comfortable with, uh, you know, maybe people turning a blind eye to some of the stuff that they do. Um, so we and we want to set up very early on, like, you know, much like uh, I, I, I keep forgetting their damn names, but Harris's goons. Um, we'll just say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, was it Blanks and Copeland? Is that it? Yeah, Blanks and Copeland. That's okay. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to have like a, a duo like them. But they're already established police officers who, you know, maybe everyone else in the force thinks they're assholes. Like, ugh, it's those mm-hmm. guys again type of thing. But they're comfortable with the way things are and they don't want it to change. Now, because of we will we'll, the the impetus for this whole story should be something happens, um, whether it be, you know, something that actually happened in the real world or we make up some kind of thing where it's like the citizens have spoken. We've had enough. Like mm-hmm. thing, things are not being run properly in our police forces. People need better training. We need more help. We need. And you know what? The authorities agree. Like the, 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 the powers that be who are calling the shots, the mayors, the governors, et cetera, et cetera. They go, you know what, people? You're right. We do need more. So we're going to open the doors, much like in Police Academy one. We're going to mm-hmm. open the doors. You want to come in and be an officer you know, and we're going to have the varying factors. So we'll have like, you know, the on the beat cop we will have the the people who deal with like, um, you know, the, the mental health and like more more the social worker aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll have like those different factions and be like, all right, come in, come through the police academy, which will obviously be run by, you know, Commandant Mahoney. Um, so we'll have that. And this is where we're going to get our characters convert converging. We're going to have the young Tackleberry who's like, you know, fuck yeah, police, I'm going to be a cop. You know, he's going to mm-hmm. run in and, and be all excited. And then you're going to have like, you know, Hooks Jr. coming in being like, yeah, I'll fucking fix things. I, and now I finally get a chance to make things right type of thing. And yep. we're going to have them all converge in this academy. 
and start to see like where a the police are doing things wrong and need to and need to do better and b some of these people who haven't had a healthy dose of reality are going to get a healthy dose of reality and i think the culmination of this story needs to mirror the very first movie where we end up having whatever city uh the police academy happens to be in whether we set it in new york or chicago or whatever um or you know a fictional city like gotham um, <laughs> but we we have this this culminate with something happens and maybe it's because people are pissed that you know the powers that be have decided to change the police force maybe that leads to some kind of like it'll start start as something like a, a political rally where it's like, you know, maybe like the governor's ball or something, mm-hmm. you know, people are protesting outside and then a fight breaks out and then the fight kind of consumes the area and starts becoming more of a riot. And then you have, mm-hmm. of course, the people who are going to take, take advantage of a riot and start, you know, being like, fuck, you know, break into these stores, like fuck politics. Let's get free shit. Cause yeah, you always have those looting. assholes. who Yeah. They, they come in and start looting. They, they, they don't care you know, about the politics of the situation. All they want mm-hmm. is free shit. So now you're going to have all that. So, of course, we're going to do much mm-hmm. like in the first movie, have these people. This is how they're going to get their first dose of reality. So they're they're going to have to come out to try to help because, again, we're trying to change the police force. They're going to be on the scene and they're going to see both like how hard it is, but also the police that have been on the force are going to see how much having these new people helps. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. Okay, so I got light bulbs going off all over the place. <laughs> this is good. No, this is good. Perfect, this, perfect. And I'll be honest with you because you know we we were, we were spending so much time on the setup of like explaining the franchise originally and explaining how, what we wanted to introduce into it that was different. And I was like, man, like I'm starting to kind of fish around a little bit for like a plot. And I think you you just you nailed it right off the bat. And so, yeah, we need to have an inciting incident at the beginning um, that is like public and dangerous. And then we need to end in the exact same way. And it's yes. again, going back to the original fran- original franchise, you have the riot that ends the first movie, but then you have all of the street crime that is the the impetus for the second movie and we can kind of like kind of flip-flop those around and so what i'm thinking is again unless we'll play both sides of this of the political uh uh, dividing line so that we can kind of show the good and the bad of both without pinpointing a villain you know um at least not uh, a particular you know whether it's the right or the left being you know the bad guys in our scenario so what I think we need to do, again, playing on the stereotypes, is we have, yeah, we have our 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 duo, our our new blanks and new Copeland, right? Our cop goons, and that's what they are. They're goods. They're existing oh, cops. They they fit the stereotype of the um of the guys who are taking advantage of uh, their their authority. They have this power trip fantasy, and you know they abuse it whenever they can because you know they get off on it, right? And we're gonna let's really like drive the stereotype. You know, there's no nuance there. These guys are just fucking assholes, and yep. they're everything that you know like a far left person might think of at, at what a police officer is, just a pig, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of that, you have you have to have we have to have a, a, a very sort of far left uh, political uh, figure, and that's what it is—a political figure, right? Somebody who is running for, let's say, mayor of this city, um, and they're, you know, they're very extreme left, very liberal, you know, socialist—the whole thing. Like, just check every single box, you know, on the blue side <laughs> of that right. dividing line. 
but they're an asshole too because you have assholes on both sides and, and they're so, doing it for all the wrong reasons yeah, they're, exactly. they're doing it for their own political gain not because they actually give a shit yeah exactly or you, and even if they do even if this person you know it can be legitimately thinking like yeah defund the police you know uh we need you know social uh, uh welfare the whole thing but they might legitimately believe that, but also be like a, a ladder climbing, power hungry douchebag, you know, <laughs> because, yeah, you know, what I mean? it's fair. And it's, right. And it's like, because, hey, even the Soviet Union had, you know, had corrupt people in charge. And, you know, the whole purpose of that was to have this sort of like utopian society where everybody, you know, gave to their ability and, and received based on their need. And yet look at how many millionaires were in just draining the coffers of that organization. You know what I mean? So like, right. The whole the whole point was that like people will take advantage of a supposedly uh, ideal situation um, or idealistic situation for their own personal good because humans uh, by you know by our very nature are selfish and yeah. um, and at least a lot of us are you know uh, right. so yeah so so we start we start in a political rally not a protest but just like a rally but there's police there you know for crowd control and protection and whatever and you have this guy who's up there you know preaching you know defund the police while the police are right there you know like they're right. helping him and he's like you know fire all these pigs and you know and and he's preaching this you know the socialist agenda and then yeah a fight breaks out the cops are there to stop it but they're like overwhelmed and so they're pulling out batons they're pulling out tasers it's getting violent and by the end of it you have this political figure who's at this rally at the microphone and he's just coloring the situation like look at the police out here just brutalizing us and beating us up and you know they're, they're a military force out here just you know uh, as fascists just taking us down when the reality was really more that they they were outnumbered and overwhelmed and did what they could with i mean if you had a weapon on you and you were felt like you were in danger you're going to use that weapon i don't care no, whether you think it's illegal or not you know what i mean that's just human nature to protect yourself and the people around you it's you know it's, that's your fight or flight um, so that's and that's how I think we can kind of ride the balance between a, 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 an actual danger, but with an extreme response to that actual danger. Right. So there's you're wrong on both sides of that argument. And then right. that turns into the political leaders like, you know, now he you know, his agenda has soared into popularity. And yes, we are going to defund the police and we are going to make changes and. We're not going to not just going to take their money away, but we're going to spend their money in different ways. Right. Same budget, but hire mental health professionals, bring in any recruit off the street, anybody who can come in there who thinks that they can hack it. If you can make it to the academy, you can be a cop just like in the first movie. And so, you know, like calling everybody to come in. And and because it's him, this like very left leaning guy, you're going to get a lot of these people who would not normally have shown up. But they're like, oh, well, you know, if uh if this guy, you know, if, if right. Mr. Blue, if Mr. Blue says that we should do it, then let's go do it, you know? And that's how, that's why you're getting this influx of all these people that are like, whoa, maybe a little bit extreme, you know, or right. just not the type that you would specific, you would normally look to, you know, or stereotypically you know, see as police recruits mixed in with the people that you would normally see. And then, and then also with the people who are on the other side of the spectrum who were coming because, you know, they're the tackleberries or they're the, you know, they're the gun aficionados or, you know, whatever they are. And right. so what you're going to see then, but, but behind the scenes, we're going to have Mr. Blue political uh, guy who is going to like have a clandestine meeting with our pigs in the in the in the police force are our, 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 the pig duo here mm -hmm. and uh 
and, he, and because he wants this whole thing to fail because he's trying to continue to drive home the point that, you know, the police are evil. We want to defund the whole thing, go you know com- to a complete like, you know, socialist utopia where we don't need the police that don't exist. So he's still pushing this agenda, but also for his own, you know, because he knows that his you know, left-leaning liberal side of his uh, his uh, uh, his voter base is going to support that. So he's really trying to like have the right side of the spectrum crash and burn. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. take all of these recruits, and it's going to be a shit show. <laughs> you know, but he, <laughs> that's what he wants. He wants it to fail, and then our pigs are going to go along with it because they're like, yes. It is going to be a shit show, but it's going to look bad on you, not on us. Like we're going to prove to you that what real police do and that's, you know, exert our authority and swing our dicks and keep people in line because sometimes you need someone to come down with a fucking iron fist. And that's mm-hmm. where they're coming from. You know, I mean, they're jerks, but they're they're also coming at it from a point of view of, you know, you can't control society unless you give people the authority to be in control. You know, that's and, right. And that so that's sort of and I think that's how you get a villain cabal that is a mix of both sides of the spectrum. So we don't have to pick one or the other show the weaknesses of both show the, the ineptitude, but also, you know, the, Hey, you can, you can be an asshole no matter what you believe. <laughs> you right. Um, and, and also show that the, the one common factor is it's always like, you know, someone out for their own gain, yeah. you know, it, and then the re- realistically, that's what it is. Cause it, cause Mr. Blue would be, you know, he'd be doing it for his own political agenda. So it's how is he going to to keep how is he going to keep a job in politics? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, right. and, and, and and these two ahead. chuckle fucks are over there like, you know, yeah, we'll go along with it because you're going to, you know, like you said, you're going to look like the asshole and then we're going to look like the hero. So we get to keep doing what we're fucking doing and, and we're in a job, you know. So yeah. it's it's always like these types of people always do this shit for themselves. It's never yep. selfless, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, and that's and that's exactly right, and that's just like Blanks and Copeland when they were like the cronies of. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of Mauser in the third epi- in the third movie because mm-hmm. Blanks and Copeland worked for Commandant Lassard's academy. Mauser had his own academy, but Mauser wanted to take down kept uh, coming out Lassard's Academy and, you know, have it be closed so that Mauser himself would rise to the authority of training all the police in the state all by himself and have all of the money and all of the funding. But he teamed up with these guys from his rival Academy because they were douchebags who were, who trying to get revenge on all these other recruits who had made them like look bad over the years, you know? Right. And, and rightly so because they're a bunch of, you know, a couple of racist ass assholes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you're right. So, so that's our setup, right? So now we have this influx of like every walk of life into the academy, just like it being in the first movie. And then we we're gonna see, again, this is a story bible. So this is not us going through beat by beat by beat like we did with the Friday the Thirteenth, uh, right. Christmas the Thirteenth episode, because <laughs> we can't just go into every single episode because it's gonna be like you know probably 13 episodes or whatever, you know, that's pretty typical for a season. Right. So the point here is to have this sort of overarching Bible that we would give to, uh, like an episode, uh, episodic TV writer and say, you go write a story and these are the criteria that it has to fall in. So here's your characters. You have your, you know, your, your, 
uh, keyboard warrior type, your protester, your Tackleberry Jr., you know, and uh, right. I mentioned having somebody who's like an urban gun owner. That can kind of be our Jones character. We can we can kind of mix in, again, the stereotype of like urban hip hop, but maybe this person is like, you know, secretly like they go to Harvard or something. You know what I mean? Like we got we to throw, <laughs> throw something kind of t- twist in the mix so it's not just a complete, you know, uh, cut out character of, of a bad, bad stereotype. Um, but, but yeah, uh, although I, I'm, I'm sorry to Go cut you off. I, I just want to point out one thing. One thing that is great about the way stereotypes are used in the police Academy movies is they do give you the stereo stereotype, but then create a, a character around it, yeah. you know? So it's like, they're not like, while they are a recognizable stereotype, they don't fit that criteria of the stereotype. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're doing with this character. It's like, you know, yeah, you have the stereotype of, you know, the 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 more urban gun toting kind of character, but have them not fit it as far as their character goes. So it's kind of like the on the surface versus getting to know somebody. The the book by its cover, if I'm yeah. making sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. And, and and those are the kind of those are the kind of details that come up in like individual episodes, and that and that's why I I, I don't think we should get into that level of detail here because again, no. we're trying to trying to be macro level Bible here. So it's like, you know, we haven't really named our characters, but you have your hooks, junior, your tackleberry, junior, your, you know, your Jones, junior, your Hightower, junior, right? So you have <laughs> this, these characters and you have your blanks and Copeland junior, and you're going to put them all in the Academy in classes, physical training, you know, uh, gun safety training, you know, traffic, uh, uh, driving courses, all this, all the stuff we saw in the original movies, put them all in those situations but they're going to be arguing and they're going to be backbiting and sniping and, and, you know, well, you know, and trying to cut each other down and they're constantly going to be bickering until they're forced to like work together on one of the training exercises. And they're going to see that, Hey, the other person is just a human too. And like, Hey, they reached, they reached out a hand to help me up. And, you know, we're going to start to see them soften up a little bit and talk. And that's what we're going to learn about. So every, every episode, we have to have like a character that we can highlight. Um, and, uh, uh, that way if we, if our cast of characters, you know, is large enough, we could, you know, start with Mahoney and then lead into every episode. We're going to, okay, let's, let's do like a left leaning character. The next episode we'll do a right, right leaning character and we'll kind of like, you know, uh, alternate to the end of the season and then end with our, our big, our big climactic event, which like you said, exactly how you mentioned would be, a riot is going to break out. And so at the beginning we started with the sort of, we'll say, you know, more liberal side of the spectrum starting the conflict. And so Mm -hmm. we'll end the, we'll end the riot with, um, we'll have just like, you know, like a, like a city citizen riot breakout, but the police are going to overreact. The police who are on the job are going to overreact. And here come the recruits to like, Hey, 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 like, you know, there's a better way to handle this. And like, look, look what we've learned, like working arm in arm side by side at the, at the Academy. Like, let us show you like the new way to do things, you know, which is again, you know, trying to defuse a situation with words and with tactics and with negotiation and with empathy, but also with technology because, Hey, keyboard warrior, she, she's going to, or he's going to get on social media. And now you have, not just like random strangers, but you have people who are supporting the police with like a Facebook group or a hashtag, you know, or whatever it is. Uh, and, and she's going to get on, he's going to get online and be like, Hey everyone, like there's a riot breaking out. You know, we need 
eyes and ears and suddenly you have an entire city who's paying attention. Oh, there's a fight on this street corner. Oh, there's a break in at this store on this street corner. And now you've taken your dispatcher and you've made them a hive mind. We, we have our modern day citizens on patrol. Yes, exactly. Right, and it's right the citizens there, at home who are yes. who are looking out for their own neighborhood and their own city because they care. And maybe they're not going to put on a uniform and a badge. Some of them are going to go to the academy and do that. And the ones that can't, who care, they're going to look out the window. You know? Yeah. Now, I, li- I like that a lot because that that, again, it comes full circle back to what, what I was mentioning at the at the start of the episode, where I feel like part one and part four, like those are the elements that we need to to bring in to make this work um, with using, you know, like I said, like the modern day uh, view of, of police right now. Like I, I feel like the idea of taking all recruits and having and working with citizens are like two major factors that would work well for this show, keeping in mind modern day politics and, and modern day uh, social views. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I think that's really cool. So, so yeah, our first season, uh, let's say it would be, you know, eight to eight to ten episodes or whatever, um, hour long episodes. I like the idea of like having a, a character highlight and kind of a lesson learned in each episode. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. a, have you ever watched the Goldbergs? I, I, at the at the very beginning, but I didn't didn't follow it. Okay, well there there's and, and I mean they still they still do it. It's still a fun show, but it's it's a very formulaic show. They have mm-hmm. your uh, like you start off with some kind of I don't want to say threat, but like whatever your your main goal is like whether it's, you know, oh, I got to I, I got to practice for the the school play or whatever. So we'll have that. Um, then we have like our B plot, which is usually something with like Barry or his sister. I always forget his sister's name. Uh, but you have like something that they're doing. But then there's always the tender moment. There's the moment where we learn something. And it's always like, you know, Murray's a hard ass on the outside, but he's got a heart of gold type of thing. And we have that tender family moment where we learn something about the characters. And I kind of like that formula for that very reason that it does add more layers to the characters. So if we were to apply that here, we would have like obviously the the silly slapstick bullshit humor and, you know, all the the stereotypes and, and stuff that we've talked about. But then our, our like tender moment in each episode would be like getting to know that character beyond the surface. So we would find out. That like, you know, uh, Jones Jr. or whatever isn't how he just appears on the surface. Or we find out like why Hooks Jr. is the way he is online. Like what happened to him that made him feel so fearful, you know, uh, in, in, in reality, but feel, you know, so brave online. So like yeah, we, we yeah. can take those in every episode, but all the while building toward this big political event that would happen at the the final episode where it's like, whether it be a rally for Mr. Blue or what, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe this is all leading up to like Mr. Blue's, you know, big, you know, big speech, like for, for mayor or whatever, uh, he's mm-hmm. going to have this big rally. And there's all the, the people who are pissed at him for, for how he has uh, changed their police force. So you have like the people who don't, who aren't, you know, they don't want to see why, change is necessary they're just they're pissed they they want to leave it alone but keep it how mm-hmm. it is they come out to protest but then people come out to protest the protesters and yeah, now we go. have the fight kind of like almost starts off accidentally so maybe mm-hmm. we could have something where it's like it's just getting loud it's just a lot of people are angry tempers are flared 
And one of the jackass cops maybe does something like, all right, break it up and like shoves two people aside, maybe accidentally hurts somebody and Mm -hmm. then fists are thrown. And next thing you know, everyone's just like all out fucking riot beating the shit out of everyone. The cops are overwhelmed, which is why we bring in the recruits, the, you know, the academy. Um, but like I said, you have all that happening, but then people of course are going to see that on TV or see that on social media and be like, Oh shit, there's a big, there's a big fight downtown. Now is our chance, you know, run downtown Mm -hmm. and start breaking up main street. So now you have the cops are divided between trying to, to stop this fight for this big riot of people fighting outside of, you know, the whatever city hall or whatever. We have this big fight outside of city hall. They're trying to stop the fight, but now you have cops that are like, Oh shit, there's a bunch of assholes looting main street to like, we got to stop them too. So we, like you said, we bring in, we bring in the recruits. So that, that'll be where we culminate the, the, how we get there is that's all part left up to the writer's room, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I think the, the event should be, it. we should have it be a, a, um, a, plot point in one of the later season episodes or episodes later in this season where there's been this like C plot the whole time of Mr. Blue, like he's running for a campaign, right? That's the whole point. He's running for, let's say he's running for mayor. Right. And, and so he's trying to get elected. And then, you know, maybe there's lots of people, characters in the show who support him, even some of the characters who are in the Academy because they don't know how he's a secretly, you know, like a douchebag. Right. And they just think that, you know, he's speaking to my political views. And so he's getting, gaining popularity and he's on the surface publicly supporting the change in the police force and all this stuff. And so his popularity is going through the roof. So we have this moment where he wins the election, like in the second to last episode and the reader or the viewers know, Oh no, like that, that's terrible. Like our villain is winning. Right. But of course, you know, to the, to the characters who are, who are supporting him, it's like a big deal. He wins. And so, yeah, in this, this event that leads to the riot should be like, I don't know what you call it, like the inauguration ceremony or induction ceremony mm-hmm. where, you know, he's going to publicly come out on stage and be named mayor and the old mayor is going to step down and, uh, you know, and then all hell breaks loose because there, there's so much contention on both sides of the political spectrum. Um, and I'm going to mention it now because I don't know if we're, I don't want to forget and I don't know how much more honestly we need to to go into the season. I think we kind of have a pretty good, you know, uh, uh outline here, you know, yeah. but of course add add more if you feel like you need to, but I think we need to have a little bit of a stinger for the next uh season of this show, right? So the first season as we mentioned will sort of be the arc of like Mr. Blue's political rise and fall while at the same time and it's kind of ironic I'm calling you Mr. Blue. It's like the blue is like the police, you know, but I was thinking yeah. blue like, <laughs> you know, like liberal um so it's kind of that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition and like kind of a right. cool coincidence, right? So you have Mr. Blue's rise and fall, and then you have like you know the police blue in their sort of like fall and rise, you know. And mm-hmm. I kind of like the I like that that shift, um, and we can kind of see how you know both sides are good and bad. And Mahoney isn't really the main character, but he's guiding the conversations and he's guiding the training and he's learning from the characters and he's the cipher for the viewer, right? We're learning from the characters because of he's learning. And if this old dog can learn some new tricks, then Hey, we can all learn some new tricks. Right. And then, so we have, I think that's, this is our first season and, you know, the riot happens and Mr. Blue is exposed and maybe he, you know, uh, his, his, uh, machinations have come to light and maybe they, you know, he, 
uh, doesn't get to become mayor, you know, they, they take it away from him or it's, you know, it's uh, annulled or whatever the word is, you know, for it's like, right. no, you can't have this because it was like dishonest. And so maybe the, the existing mayor is going to like stay in charge for at least a, t- a, a, a certain period of time. Right. Or maybe his political rival uh, will, will win the seat by default. <clears throat> and I think it'd be interesting if we never really saw whoever this other person is the whole season like maybe we never really saw the, the the rival politician or we'd we'd heard about him but never really you know saw the name or saw him on tv because there was so much focus on mr blue in the police academy we don't really need to introduce like another character arc to follow because we don't really care about the other the other um the, you know the red politician right right but for fans of the Police Academy as the series, just like fans of Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid franchise, you want to bring back characters and actors from the original franchise, not only to lead into like the next season, but also as a, as the little Easter eggs and the fun little little nods to the to the fans. Like we got to have you know the original Ali come back, you know, and mm-hmm. the original Kumiko and the original Chosen. And I think it'd be interesting for since we focus so much on the first four movies, even though we haven't you know, kind of referenced all the characters and all the actors. Well, don't forget in five and six, when it got like sillier, like you had, uh, what's his name? Uh, was it Nick? The other Lassard, the uh, kept coming out yeah, Lassard's uh, nephew. And he sort of replaced Mahoney. So I think it'd be interesting if we, we, we reveal that the other uh, political candidate who'd been running this whole time was Nick Lassard, you know, and he was oh, running, nice. He was running on the Republican or the red side of things, you know, and and he's going to sort of become mayor by default. And now suddenly Nixon in charge and Nick is like Mahoney's boss. But, you know, and Nixon, a nice guy. And he was the he was that charming smiler, just like Mahoney, you know, with the twinkle in his in his uh, in his grin, you know, but maybe he's hardened a bit over the years. Right. And so yeah. he suddenly we have Nixon in charge and we're all like, hey, Nick. But he's like, ah. Now I'm in charge, you know, and this shit is canceled, <laughs> you know, right. and and just have him kind of like pull the rug out from under the academy that we've seen uh, built up this whole season. And then, you know, we're going to be left wondering, like, why? What happened? Why did you do that? What, you know, you know, why are you on that political side of the spectrum? Like, you know, whatever it is, you know, what I mean, why are you presenting in this way? And, right. you know, for fans, they're going to recognize Nick. For people, people who don't know who it is, it's just going to be the mysterious other candidate that we never really got to see because he always turned the TV off at the, at the, at the, just at the right moment to like not see his face or whatever. And right. then suddenly, suddenly now we know, okay, now we have a new, uh, power broker for our season two. I dig it. I dig it a lot. I, I like bringing back, uh, I like bringing back Nick and actually having uh, the other Mahoney be like the foil of Mahoney. Yeah, I think exactly. I think that's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, what, one thing we, we we didn't go into a lot of the detail character wise and all that uh, as far as like the the little quirks and stuff that that we will see throughout the series and it, just for for the listeners and that's because like like you said uh, we're just trying to write a show bible here. But I think. If we were to go further than like two two series, um, it probably would end up going down the same road of the films and becoming a little more slapstick just because I feel like these are very heavy, you know, stories mm-hmm. like in yeah. the first season. It's going to be filled. It's going to have plenty of humor, but it's a very heavy story. Um, so I think eventually. I don't want to say we'd go like Mission to Moscow or, uh, <laughs> you know, or, you know, Miami Beach or whatever. 
but I feel like it would get a little more lighthearted as the series progresses and become more of like just like an R-rated sitcom. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I could be mistaken, but that's kind of the vibe I'm picking up on this. I agree. Plus, I don't know that we can really sustain like the political tightrope act that, that we've been yeah. kind of talking about through this whole first season. I think we kind of like let that happen. And then, you know, we bring in the second season and, and kind of like let that go. And let's stop focusing so much on the red versus blue, right versus left or whatever. And just say, OK, we've all kind of come together you know, as a family in this first season and we've all learned to see the other person's, you know, strengths and weaknesses in our common ground. And now we, as the police Academy recruits and graduates in Mahoney, we, we now our now our, our interest or our foil or our threat is Nick and whatever it is that he represents. And I'm not sure what that is exactly. So we can kind of get away from the politics and get more into like, okay, now like what's up with Nick? He's, he's gone. He's, 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 uh, he's broke bad. You know what I mean? He's right. Uh, <laughs> something is, maybe he's been a politician for years and he's just like every other politician, you know, he's crooked, you know, or, or, or maybe not even crooked so much as just, uh, we, and we can kind of, we can kind of play the politics a little bit where maybe he's not crooked, but he's just in it for like the corporate interests and, you know, his big, uh, big money backers. And, you know, he's, and, you know, he's, uh, he's not, you know, just, you know, taking money under the table or whatever, but, you know, he is thinking, he's thinking like long-term, you know, growth of the city, bring in big companies, companies bring in jobs, but I got to give them tax breaks. I got to give them perks and cuts and priorities and all, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So it's like, maybe not everyone would agree with him thinking of let's prioritize these big companies that are coming, bring coming in, but he's mm-hmm. doing it because he's thinking, I'm not thinking about the individual person on the street. I'm thinking about the whole city and the future of the city and bringing in jobs and bringing in money and bringing in tourists and all this. And so we can still have that sort of like political conflict. It's a little bit lighter. You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. a little bit less dangerous and violent. And so we can, we can kind of get into, um, you know, what, what, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, antics, uh, are we, can we get into with like maybe these like, you know, businessmen coming in, uh, right. and they can kind of big business can kind of be like the big bad for our season two. Yeah. I like it. Um, one thing I do want to say, cause I know, I know we are running kind of long and, and, and I don't want to keep going into every single episode. <laughs> um, but I do want to have like, much like we talked about the kills in the Friday the 13th, I feel like we do need to talk about at least some of the silliness that we would yeah. present in the show. And you had mentioned earlier, uh, was it, was it George Martin in, in yeah. the first one? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the whole ladies man thing. While we were talking about this, I, I got to thinking, I was like, you know, what would be a fun modern day update to that is to to basically have a gender fluid character who mm-hmm. is just like, you know what? Hey, I like everybody. You know, <laughs> I dig everybody. I dig all walks of life. And, you know, I am here for everybody, you know, because I personally have some friends that they just look if they like you, they like you. They don't yep. care. Anything like you, you don't care how you present, how you know what you identify. If they like mm-hmm. you as a person, they like you. So I think having a character like that and almost like mm-hmm. normalizing that thought process yeah. of you know like yeah, this is just who this person is. You know, like they they dig on everybody, and I think this would be a fun callback to the fans because mm-hmm. we could have Mahoney try to like mess this character up, like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna prank him. And yep. send them to the Blue Oyster Club. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And fi- and like the next day be like, dude, I had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> have it like turn the joke on its ear where it's like, you know, Mahoney thought he was going to prank him good. And he's like, oh, oh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. You know, yes. like, exactly. Yeah, we can have this character, you know, the with the, the they them pronouns and they can go to the Blue Easter Club, like you said. But we don't even need to show the inside of it because the you know, all we need because is music. all we need. Yeah, that music cue. Right. And the, and the fans of the original series will know and we can kind of avoid any, you know, touchy ground with kind of showing what's inside that club yeah, you know, yeah, in the 21st century. Do, we don't need to do, do the leather daddy stereotype. Yeah, exactly. um, Just you we know. show the neon sign. We play the music cue and like people will get it. Yeah. And then, like I said, the, the joke will come full, full circle yeah. when like we fight, like when Mahoney's like waiting for the punchline mm-hmm. and we find out like, yeah, not only did they have a really great time, but they got a second date or something like, you know, yeah, it's like exactly. something like that. And it's just like, oh, Okay. Oh, dude. No, dude. I think you just nailed something that would be really interesting as like this theme to run, you know, as like the D plot or whatever in every episode is, you know, Mahoney is kind of our main character, sort of, right? And he's yeah. also the cipher for the audience, but we, he's got to have something to do, right? Besides just like learn an important lesson, you know? Right. Like, yeah, this is exactly it. What if that's what he's doing the whole time is he's trying to prank other people on the show but like his all of his pranks fall short just like this one everyone because his <laughs> pranks were always they were all always kind of mean-spirited and kind of sexist and you know kind of kind of you know he was kind of a jerk you know what i mean yeah, let's be honest exactly. and like what if he's like ha 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 i'm gonna get you oh okay never mind like okay no no now i've got it now i've got it, the perfect plan oh okay shit that didn't work either okay you know it's like it's like <laughs> nobody's falling for it because they're 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 they're, they're either into it they're too yep. smart to fall for his bullshit, you know, or, <laughs> you know, or, you know, what they're going along with it. There's got to be one where he plays a prank on somebody and then they're like, oh, who are we playing a prank on? It's like you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like somebody who, who's just kind of like, you know, oh, I want to do this, too. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're supposed to be the victim. What are you doing? Leave me alone. You know, you know right. kind of I think it'd be hilarious to show that like Mahoney, very much like the original commandant who was like, you know, he was kind of senile and kind of silly. And it was like, yeah. you know, he was always like losing his train of thought and doing dumb stuff. And and people took advantage of him because he wasn't really all there. I think it'd be funny if Mahoney people took advantage of Mahoney because he was like, aha, I'm the married prankster in Burl. And everyone was like. All right, all right, okay, Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh God, I dig that. But yeah, we could totally use like pranks from the from the series, like do callback pranks, mm-hmm. but twist them. So yeah. like you know, obviously the Blue Oyster Club one, we could. Su- I don't know how we would do it, but the podium prank because that oh, came, God, came up yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I don't know how we would make that work, but you know we could definitely do that. Um, yeah, that came up. That came, came up a couple of times. Well, yeah, they even brought it back in. Uh, was oh god, was it Mission? No, which one was it? Was it City Under Siege where Lassard was out of town? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think it was City Under Siege. Well, he was out of town in Part Four, which is why Harris came back to take over the police academy, and then of course they went to Miami in Part Five. Oh yeah, had, well, it was Part Four that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Because he was out of town, but he was talking to like the delegates from the other yeah. like police academies, and he was like, "So I asked her, do you always work under podiums?" Like, <laughs> you know, like those ki- that joke kept coming back like again and again. Yeah, and um, like I mean, those are the types of things that we would have to find ways to twist them and put them, you know, turn them on our ear, but where it's still funny but just different. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he tries to like, haha, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be hilarious and I'm going to like buy you a hooker, you know, and you know, of course that would be like his terminology. Right. But then it right. would, of course, in the modern terminology, the person would be like, oh, that's such a such a sweet gift. Like, you know, I love, you know, uh, you know, uh, I support sex workers. Yeah, exactly. I support <laughs> sex workers. That's, you know, and I've had such a bad week. This is so amazing that you bought me this gift of like this time <laughs> with this like, you know, uh, professional, just like, like going to like a masseuse or something, you know <laughs> what I mean? And he's just like, oh, shit. Like that was supposed to be like embarrassing and ha ha ha. And they're like, oh, this is so great. You know, what is it? You know, did you buy me an hour? You know, whatever. You know what I mean? And it's like, and it becomes this like business exchange, you know, which is, you know, totally no shame at all. Right. Exactly. <laughs> See, and, and I think that's going to be the main hook of the show. I think that would definitely be in the, in the story Bible is, you know, not only do we have to have a lesson learned in every episode, but we have to have, you know, some kind of ridiculous joke that feels at home in the police Academy movies, mm-hmm. but it's updated for a modern audience and turned completely on its ear. So we're kind of bringing the old and the new together. Yeah, exactly. And I love the idea that it's funny because, you know, we're going to kind of expose this, this old style of humor, you know, like dad jokes, right? Dad jokes yeah. are funny because they're not funny. And that's exactly the kind of humor that we're going to have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I dig it. I, I think like, if this type of show was like, if this is what HBO max does, I'm all about it. I'm going to enjoy myself because I think this is going to be a lot of fun. All right. Yeah. So I think this is a really great concept. I think we have a really strong, you know, story Bible here, not necessarily as beat for beat in depth as our Christmas, the 13th script uh, pitch, right. but I think this is a really uh, cool, uh, concept for you know a, a TV show, and we can do this sort of thing again in the future if we decide to to talk about a TV show where we don't need to go into quite as much detail, but we can do this sort of an uh, overall outline. And uh, I think this is pretty cool, you know. And we didn't really talk about it at the beginning uh, as much as we did in the last episode, but you know, this is this falls into that really cool category of reimagining some franchise or some property that we love you know it's the uh the remake reboot recycle category and yes. i think this is a perfect example of that because it's kind of a remake and it's kind of a reboot and we're you know we're taking this old franchise and we're recycling it for a new a new audience a new generation you know a new uh new lease on life right so yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty jazzed about this i'm pretty excited any uh anything else to add to, uh, to this or any other thoughts for season two no, not really. I think I think we pretty much covered all of it. Uh, just it would be obviously we, we mentioned uh, one of the things we would like to do is bring back any, um, you know, existing like uh, existing. What am I saying? Any still living um, <laughs> cast members from the original uh, franchise. So maybe Harris could pop in at some point. Hell, maybe he could be like, oh, God, this this would be fantastic. What if he's the toady to Nick? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> Oh, that's so good. So like, so good. you know, he's like the little errand boy helper kind of toady for, for our, uh, our Mr. Red. You know? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I would love to have like, uh, Michael Winslow, uh, you know, Jones or, uh, what was her name? Uh, Callahan. She's, uh, oh, uh Leslie Easterbrook. That's it. Right. Yeah. And, and you're right. Some of the, some of the surviving cast members, it would be cool if they could either come on as like a cameo for an episode where like they come on to do like a guest, uh, lecture or guest teacher kind of a session for some particular training exercise they're doing or, yeah. you know, so, someone like Michael Winslow. I mean, if, you know, he's still, you know, at young, at least maybe as young as Steve Gutenberg or a similar age, you know, it'd almost be interesting to have him be like a recurring cast member. Like maybe he's trying to help, 
maybe Jones is trying to help Mahoney with his like pranks and stuff, but like it never quite works out, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I feel like he's kind of like the, uh, like the behind the scenes, like, uh, like henchman of Mahoney's, you know, his, uh, his aider and a better, but you know, for all their pranks to fall apart. Right. No, I feel like he would, I, I feel like, um, Michael Winslow would actually jump on this because he was in, um, you know, all seven of the movies, as well as the TV show and provided voices for the cartoon. Like he's always been a part of the police Academy stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like, I don't know, maybe he would be what Harris was to Lassard, but not a dick. You know, okay. maybe he would just be like one of the lead teachers at the Academy. Sure. Yeah. Um, and who's always like in on the jokes with Mahoney as they fall mm-hmm. apart. Yeah, you know, that's good. So, yeah, exactly. He can, he can be like one of the senior instructors or something. Play yeah. the play. He's the Harris. He's the Callahan. Yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, yeah, we can bring back anyone else who's still alive. You know, they can, you know, come back and, and, and be on the show. You know, I'm pretty sure that uh, Bruce Mahler, who is Fackler, I'm pretty sure he's still alive. And and uh, Sweet Chuck, uh, Tim Kazerinsky. Kazer- I can't pronounce that. I'm, just, yeah. I'm looking, at, looking at the list of the cast. I mean, I know Bobcat already said he he doesn't want anything to do with the, with the franchise. <laughs> like, he, yeah. he was like, you know, I did, I, I did it. I'm done. Like, because he said he didn't want to come back for a revival. But... I do think it would be really funny to bring back Leslie Easterbrook as Callahan and still have her be like the sexually domineering character as an older mm-hmm. woman. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like, that'd be I think awesome. that would be really funny because that'd be another another really cool stereotype to like twist on its head. Yeah. You know, because she's she's God, she's got to be in her in her 70s by now. Yeah, I think. Like either yeah. late sixties or seventies, because she was she was older in uh, in um, Devil's Rejects, where she played Mother Firefly. She filled in for Karen Black um, as as the new Mother Firefly, and she was definitely still uh, you know using her sexual wiles in a different way. <laughs> yeah, um, but she was you know like so as an actress, she she's got no qualms about doing that kind of gag. And I feel like it would be funny as hell with all these young recruits mm-hmm. and having her still do the thing where like she would grab their head and like shove it into her bosom. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And our, our uh, you know, our, our pansexual, pan gender, pan everything character right. would love absolutely it. love it. Yeah. That, that would be a really, <laughs> really interesting, you know, pair, pairing. And yeah, that'd be fun. And, and again, the whole idea just, you know, for anyone who's listening is, you know, obviously we've talked about, the stereotypes not being something that we're using to kind of make fun of the characters or to be hateful or any way, or to simplify, you know, the reality of like real people, you know, who, who uh, exemplify these traits, but as a literary, you know, and storytelling technique as a way of having like a a doorway in, you know, people talk a lot about wanting to see characters that represent them on screen. Like you want to see yourself on screen, whether that means it's a person of color or, you know, uh, 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 alphabet friendly, you know, LGBTQIA, you know, uh, and, you know, whatever, you know, uh, just being a woman, even any, any sort of like marginalized member of society, everybody wants to see themselves on the screen and on the page and have a character that represents them. And like, sometimes 
having a character who's kind of a stereotype is a way to do that because not not to represent you know them as a whole but it's just it's a way in and then we learn more about the characters then we see how no no they're really multifaceted and multi-layered and every stereotype is based on some kind of fact but there's it's never the story that you think it is and i think it's never the whole story Exactly. Right. Yeah. So we're going to and I think Police Academy did that, too. Again, we mentioned that already that they they had these stereotypes of like big, tough black guy and like ladies, man and, you know, uh, you know, sex predator or whatever. And (laughs) but then we saw it. Wait, there was so much more to it than that, you know, Uh, and that that was just, you know, this this uh, very, very thin surface. And, uh, you know, the characters became really, uh, really uh, real over time. Yeah. And and I feel like one one more important distinction uh, to point out with that type of uh, that type of conversation where we're 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 having stereotypical stuff uh, when representing people, you have to look at something like South Park. South Park works because it makes fun of everybody. It's like this isn't making fun of a particular group. This isn't making fun of it. It's including everyone in the joke. Yeah, you know, that's and that, that's it. And that's why South Park works because yeah, sure, it's offensive. Sure, it's it's fucked up. Sometimes like I'm shocked with the stuff they get away with. But the reason they get away with it, the reason it all works is because they turn it around and they're like, "You know what? Everyone's in on this joke with us. We're mm-hmm. all having a good time. We're all laughing at our own, you know, quirks and foibles and all that." But, you know what? Hey, Life life is going to have this stuff. Life's going to have a lot of crazy crap thrown at you. So if we can't laugh, you know, what do we got? So I feel like with this type of a show, we would have to take the South Park approach where Mm -hmm. it's like nothing is sacred as far as, oh, we can't make fun. We can't we can't poke fun at that. Like poke fun lightheartedly and good naturedly. That's the key point is still have heart about it. Where, like I said, with the whole uh, the whole Blue Oyster Club thing in the originals, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, they were making a gay joke, but they were making a gay joke at the homophobic expense. Yeah. You know, so it's like it still had some heart to it in, a, in an odd way. Yeah. And defi- I feel like that didn't we age well, but it was I think it was good natured. Mm-hmm. That's the way to point it. It's good natured. And, and I feel like we would be doing the same thing in a modern time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's there's there is a place in pop culture for the shock jock, right? The shock value there. Absolutely. The South Park, the Kevin Smith, you know, the you, yep. there, there is a place in pop culture. And, you know, and there like anything else, there are waves, you know, there are peaks and valleys. And, you know, somebody like a Kevin Smith, you know, who has made a lot of, you know, incredibly raunchy comedy movies, but he's also used those platforms to talk about, you know, political and social, you know, concepts, but he rode his popularity and then fell out of popularity. And then he kind of comes back, you know, just like these movie franchises, you know, they, yep. they ride, they ride a wave of popularity and then they are not so popular anymore. And that, that happens just because, you know, the society shifts, the, the generation ages out and the next generation comes in. And just like now, like, you know, everything from the nineties and like early two thousands is like cool again, because, you know, society yep. and trends <laughs> tend, they tend to cycle a 20 or 30 year, um, 
uh, you know, turnaround. So like, you know, when I remember, I remember being in high school and thinking that like bell bottoms were cool from the seventies, you know, <laughs> yep. and it's like now people are wearing outfits that I would have wore to high school and listening to music that I used to listen to back in the year 2000, you know, and, right. and like Limp Biscuit is back and, you know, it's like every, <laughs> everything, everything old is new again. And yep. that, that, that also applies to even like the approach to comedy and, you know, having the, the f- ability to shine a spotlight on, you know, political and social concepts so that people can learn from it while having a good time. I totally agree. Yeah. So I think that's a really, a really good place to, to kind of cut off on the police academy. We talked for a really long time. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be another, you know, lengthy episode. I don't know that we're ever going to have a short episode, to be honest. Like this might be our format. <laughs> yeah. No, th- this is, this is going to be a hunker down and listen for a couple hour type of podcast. <laughs> Um, I know myself when listening back to our first episode, I did it in stages. Uh, <laughs> I, I listened to it for like uh, probably about 45 minutes or so. And then I had to go to work. <laughs> it was like while at work, I listened to it a little bit more and then it got busy. So I had to pause it, you know, but uh, but the thing is, hopefully everyone is entertained by these ideas. Hopefully everyone mm-hmm. is enjoying our conversation as much as I'm enjoying our conversation. Um, and I, I look forward to uh, what we talk about next. Yeah, yeah, I, I, me too. I, I'm really excited about it. And yeah, I feel the same way. I'm not going to worry about the length of the episode. You know, just think of it as like a, you know, an audio book novella or something. You know, it's right. <laughs> like when, when I listen to an audio book, you know, I put it on and I drive somewhere. And then when I get there, you know, I get out of the car and turn it off and go about my business. And then when I get back in the car, I turn it back on and I pick up right where I was. And, you know, yep. you keep on going and it can take you, you know, days or weeks or whatever to get to an audio book. And I don't mind if there's a storytelling podcast like this one you know i don't mind listening to a story in bits and pieces i mean you you don't read a novel you know uh, cover to cover usually you know yeah. most people read it you know chapter by chapter or you know whatever in in chunks and you know not that i'm uh, aspiring to literary greatness here but if, if we are going to be here to tell a story then i'm not going to worry about being bite-sized yeah yeah and, so uh, so i i know we haven't uh, decided on our next topic but I have a few ideas to throw at you off the air, so uh, yeah. I guess I guess we'll probably mention uh, what our next topic will be on our social media, right? Yeah, that's right. That's a good what a, what a segue. Very smooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can you can find us uh, pretty much everywhere on social media with the username Raised by Rentals, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Also, RaisedByRentals.com has the links to all of that, and uh, you can find our other social media uh, platforms and outlets for other things we're interested in as well. Um, for myself, uh, if you visit Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at Comics Boost, where I spotlight crowdfunding campaigns for mostly comic book projects that I think deserve to become a reality i don't make any of the comics that i feature but i like to spread the word about rad stuff and uh, do what i can to help creative people meet their goals and put some more cool comic books in the world so if that sounds good to you check it out at comics boost spelled comics with an x on instagram and twitter and what about you mike where can we find you uh well it's uh just mike alvarez on facebook there's a lot of where i post my art and whatnot uh, Zarakis on Instagram. It's Z-A-R-A-C-I-S at Instagram. Uh, I post a lot of artwork there. And then, of course, there's the Boogeyman's Closet, uh, 1-0, all, <laughs> like, all one word, um, on both Facebook, Instagram, and it's, uh, at Boogeyman's The on Twitter. But, uh, that's where we post all of our 
you know, move or podcast related topics as far as like what episodes we're going to be doing, um, you know, what to vote on for upcoming episodes and uh, where you can find the, the current episodes. So, yeah. Yeah. And you're also involved in another podcast, right? Ah, you- yes. <laughs> Count Creepy Head Saturday Morning Monster Mash. Creepy Head with a K. Uh, also anywhere you can download podcasts and, um, both Facebook and Instagram. And, uh, yeah, if you guys like listening to three grown man children talk about, uh, toys and, and lots of really inappropriate humor at times, um, definitely check it out. Our, uh, upcoming episode as of this recording is going to be a hell of a doozy. Um, there will be some throwbacks to an 80s movie we just covered on the Boogeyman's Closet, uh, Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolarama. Uh, so <laughs> that's going to be an interesting episode. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm very, very intrigued. We'll find out. Uh, I'll, I'll get to I'll get to find out along with everyone else, which is good. <laughs> I like to, I like the surprise. So indeed, yeah. Well, thanks for everyone for tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. Uh, whatever service you're listening to this on, please come back next time. Leave a rating, leave a comment, let us know what you think and what we should improv improve next time. Uh, with that, I'm Josh. Uh, Mike. And we have to return some videotapes. Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support Rad Stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. <laughs>